Oh yeah. We got a a mic um if you guys were wondering we've gotten the most positive feedback whenever we completely change genres like throughout the entire theme song so that's what we're going with here yeah yeah so welcome uh it's uh it's it's feb we're in the deeps of of the feb now we're tip deep in feby doggy yeah uh, episode 23 here. We have a lot of stuff that we've been watching. But guys, so... I don't know if y'all know this. Nobody likes you when you're 23 episodes deep into a podcast. Mm. Oof. Oof. We sick ref. We still act like we're in freshman year. Been saving that for like the last six episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting. So but before we get to what we've been watching, I, I do want to take a moment to <laughs> acknowledge the absolutely horrible, devastating, deeply deeply humiliating loss that the New England Patriots suffered. Yeah, we should. Just just for posterity. Guys, guys, sake. guys, that's not pop culture. We're just going to move this I'm conversation sure it along is. here. It's sort of like a cultural timestamp <laughs> just so the folks listening like 20 years from now remember, you know, you, they can never forget. Tom Brady's still going to be playing 20 years from now. Yeah, so he'll still be he'll be another 10 rings deep. Yeah. So yeah. You know what? I I'm as the person who uh, is actually at this table who loves the Patriots. And what um, is your name? Oh, we have to introduce ourselves. Uh, my name is Drew Dietzen. <laughs> Uh-oh. So, yeah, he's dissociating. Ever, <laughs> ever since the loss, he's not himself, literally. Guys, I'm taking the loss so well. I don't know yeah. what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, Hunter's a uh, you know long Patriots yeah. fan. I, I'm Ernest Calderon, and uh, go Eagles. Oh. Yeah, I, I wore green hey, that day. Do you like uh, eating horse shit like the fans of Philadelphia did after they won the Super Bowl? Because that's a real thing that people are doing right yeah, now. Yeah, didn't they like set their cars on fire yeah. or some shit? <laughs> Which makes you wonder, what would have happened if Philly would have lost that game? Because oh, yeah, it would have been shit. Exactly the same thing, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I think that this... Uh, this is this Super Bowl is showing why uh, Philadelphia can't have nice things because mm. they're a disgusting group of people. Unless you're a fan from Philadelphia, unless which, you're uh, Mark Wahlberg, unless uh, if you're a fan from Philadelphia, like you know, go Markel yeah. Fultz and and especially, I mean, Boston fans are notoriously like not racist and like all no, I mean, we're used to winning. Like, have you seen the Patriots? Like their parade, they they do it with class. Yeah, they do their customary sacrifice of a Vietnamese person. Do you want to you want to talk a little bit about uh Drew about our situation watching the Super Bowl this year? <laughs> yeah, we were at a fun party that Hunter Hunter invited me to. So this this setup that these guys had was like the ultimate like way too macho guy trying to be. Is this super... the guy with the eighty inch TV? <laughs> yeah, ninety two inch TV. Ninety two inch TV, biggest TV I've ever seen. <laughs> Up next to it, right next to it in the top corner was a small TV playing a loop of world star twerk vines. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On a different, a, on a, on a different, different TV, yeah. yeah, And just every now and again, it's just one of the dudes would be like, "Hey, look at that one." 
it was, it was, it was pretty was, hilarious. It was really weird, kind of uncomfortable. All the girls that were kind of like, "Should we? Do you want us to like go? Like, do you want? <laughs> yeah. to, do you want to just like jack each other off?" It was it was a very odd situation. Yeah, it was classic. And I, I was not prepared for that part. Yeah, best but, part though is that everyone was a Patriots fan except for me and like one other guy. Um, and I was wow. I was wearing like all green and silver. I was really stoked. Um. <laughs> And I, I was like, they were all, I mean, everyone took it like, not like awfully, like they weren't flipping shit because you know, how, how salty can you be after your eighth Super Bowl appearance and your third loss? Yeah. Like I, whatever. It's kind of how I feel now is just like, I, I, I feel like I took this better than I have giants losses in the past that like, you know, I, I think that, uh, New England had a bad defense all year. So that was, uh. Yeah, I should have bet. Because I think I we're losing our audience. I don't know if they know anything. Okay, about it, well, I didn't but watch the game. Did you watch the commercials? I of didn't. The game? I watched them after the fact. <laughs> Did you watch all of the Tide commercials? I'm starting to think those were the, the best. Those were the best ones. The I Super think. Bowl actually was an ad for Tide. <laughs> Tide ad. A lot of you know, a lot of brands have done that before, where they they're self aware about their advertising. Sprite has made a name off of doing that since yep. the '90s, but it actually it really worked. Like I was impressed; they did really good genre parody within commercials. Which yeah, I mean, typically I fucking hate commercials because they all try to be funny and they're not. Yeah, but this was actually like kind of caught you like the Old Spice commercial when you're just like watching it in the moment. You're just like, oh, the Old Spice guy, you know, yeah, just watching her. It's a fucking tight yeah. ad, and it wasn't like the how uh, Sprint poached the old, you know, variety. yeah, that <laughs> was that was just lame. Thing. He's like, hey, I used to have yes, and it's like, shut up, shut up. <laughs> yeah, you, guess usually, what? Phone companies—they're all the same shit. Yeah. Usually, I I appreciate the Super Bowl for having those ads that kind of like go the extra mile to not be just garbage because yeah. usually ads are just like schlock and yeah and nobody cares they but s- super bowl is like oh it's like the ads you know they're kind of entertaining yeah so. but they also if they also sometimes get like if they're preachy they tend to go horribly wrong like t-mobile did this ad it was oh, just yeah. it was a slow shot of a circle of like diverse babies the entire shot it was like oh, two God. minutes of that <laughs> and at the end you're just like i don't even care what this commercial's <laughs> for because they you have no idea yeah. that's and then it goes and it's like t-mobile and you're like what the fuck yeah, like, that's my least favorite kind of commercial where it could be for anything and some ad company just sold it for two million dollars to oh uh, yeah you know it's just it's well there was the whole dodge ram fiasco as well oh yeah that i mean that was just straight the mlk speech that was like the most tone deaf thing i've ever seen <laughs> yeah uh i did try to watch the halftime show a little bit with jt and i i, I couldn't do it it's it was you- just too bad it was it was i I, I couldn't I, get into it. It was horrible. Okay, the thing is with the, halftime shows, that guy shows, can dance. It's it's cool, but uh. the thing is with halftime shows is like I feel like I actually like thought JT didn't do a terrible job just because the biggest mistakes that Super Bowls have made at halftime shows before is putting rock bands in that situation just because you have to just kind of be able to plow through like 10 songs in a 15 yeah, minute like span. a medley. Like you have to medley it, which works best with pop. Also for like entertainment purposes, like um I don't know if you guys have ever seen the video of Coldplay playing the halftime show, but that is the worst shit ever. Like it's it's just genuinely really bad. And they like find people in the audience who are like sobbing, crying when Clocks is playing and shit like that. Like it's, it's... was it Gwyneth Paltrow? Yeah, 
I um <laughs> I've been trying to get into JT's new album, The Man of the Woods. It's bad. And it's not good. It's really horrible. <laughs> it's just like, bad. It's, like it's that's why he he I'm started so off with the first his, single and then he didn't play a single other song. His single is bad too. Like it's yeah. not good. It's just I mean no. It's it sounds like he was like okay I finally earned my right to inject a little me into my music and yeah. everyone's like no don't do that <laughs> do not do that anymore. It's just it's horrible because he still has that like heavy pop production and he's still trying to make this pop music but every single song is trying to go out of its way to like have an acoustic guitar or a little like yeah. twangy yeah. lick in exactly there. it's just it's a combination of so many things that it, it does not work at all yeah um also is, the i don't know if we talked about this on the podcast before but there's the whole song about him like having supplies for the end of the yeah. world yeah exactly that's and him being like a doomsday prepper like i, I if that's what's going on with him i didn't want to know like i don't want to i don't want to know like, like that he's getting schizophrenia or something he's like hey jessica Beale. yeah come on girl hey girl you want some canned soup yeah, he's like getting some really troubling messages from Joey, and he's like, "I got a bunker down." Yeah, <laughs> Joey Fatone's yeah. like, the "Eagle has landed." <laughs> Enter the bunker. Yeah. Which, speaking of that, like, there was a lot of uh, talk up to it whether there was going to be an in sync uh, reunion or a Janet Jackson reunion oh, at the halftime no show. Because I th- honestly, I think that they did Janet dirty. In that Janet Jackson was just up there performing, and then JT is the one who ripped her shirt off, yeah. exposing her nipple. Yep. But Janet Jackson's never allowed back at the halftime show, and fucking Justin Timberlake yeah. is like that's fucked just because it was her nipple. Yeah, <laughs> it's it like, is. It's up. very lame. Like the whole way she got treated was shitty. Uh, of course, he also covered a, a Prince song mm. with oh, not yeah. a Prince hologram, but like there a was pin- the rumor Prince of the hologram thing behind him. Yeah, it was a very was, grainy video. Yeah, it was it was odd. But uh, I I wanted to say at this point that um. The, over the Super Bowl, because I didn't have a lot of confidence in my Patriots, I made a bunch of prop bets. And I don't know if you guys know this, but especially for the Super Bowl, you can gamble on literally everything. Like, you could gamble on what color Justin Timberlake's shoes were. What print song would he cover? I put, like, $15 on whenever uh, Pink sang the national anthem on over or under two minutes, just because... It always goes over two minutes. Later, I found out that Pink actually had like the flu or something, <laughs> so it was like one fifty four, and I was outraged. Oh, man. I, fucked, I threw a hole through the TV. Yeah, I just you threw a hole. I threw a hole. <laughs> threw a fucking. I hole. threw a portal, and then it was a portal to the Super Bowl. I went down, I screamed at Pink. Yeah, and then you found the solo trailer because <laughs> yeah. I was so alone. <laughs> so we got our first look. At a solo or what's it called Star Wars, a solo story. Mm. Um, at yeah. at the the Super Bowl commercial time, and yeah, it's it'll be fine. Whatever, it'll be a perfectly fine movie. Drew, um, as our as our resident Star Wars <laughs> fuckboy, yeah. uh, what do you what do you think of all this? Uh, I I mean, it looked okay, but. Donald, I, I'm just calling it right now. I think that at the very least, I'm going to have major problems with uh, Han. I I think he was the least interesting part of the trailer. Well, he wasn't even in it that much. And in the movie's called Solo. Like, it seems like they're trying to kind of edge him out of the promotional yeah. materials for a reason. Uh, there was obviously the whole thing they had to bring in an acting coach or whatever for him. He just he might be a great actor in his own right. He doesn't look like young Han Solo. No, he, he looks older than 
Harrison Ford was in the yeah. old Star Wars movies. And also nothing like Harrison Ford. And he doesn't... <laughs> Harrison Ford's whole thing is that, like, back then, he was just, like, magnetic. Like, he had the A-list thing. He had the glow. Yeah. Like, he had a, a great voice. He, he hot. Had, he had all of it. And this guy just kind of doesn't. Yeah. Um, I don't... I mean, I can see why they had some trouble kind of corralling him into a good performance. Even if, like I said, he might be a great actor. Everyone's like, well, yeah, and Hail Caesar. But that's not what he's doing now. He's trying to be someone else, literally... He's trying to be one of the most iconic actors of all time. Yeah. So it's hard to do, but like I'm I'm just calling it now. It's gonna it's gonna people are gonna have issues with it. There were there were a lot of other little um movie previews that premiered during the Super Bowl, and we're gonna get into a, a probably the biggest one of the night later on. Um the solo one is really the the only other one worth worth discussing because I didn't really care to watch the Mission Impossible trailer because I don't want to see anything from that film. Oh, I'm, I, I'm looking forward I to that movie so much. I just want to say that that was an excellent trailer. I don't want to see Impossible it. Trailer, I don't like, see it. It shows absolutely nothing. Like I was so excited oh, okay. by seeing it. It, it teases um, the big stunt, doesn't it? No. You see it like half a second of it, but there's no context of anything that you're seeing. So you don't okay. know what's actually happening in that situation, but it's just a great action trailer. They did announce um, a new Dwayne The Rock Johnson movie called Skyscraper, and it's basically Die Hard, but with one that leg. That shit looks so fucking bad. <laughs> he has one leg. Do you, oh, do you remember that? <laughs> Is that an excuse? Is that what you're saying? Like, oh, he's got one leg. We were at a party full <laughs> of people. Die Hard with one leg. We were at a party full of people who theoretically would like that, and even everyone at the party was like, Wow, that looks like shit. Yeah, it was. It was really like bad everyone looking. became a movie critic. I I really think that Dwayne, uh, kind of struck gold and he figured out how to make <laughs> multiple movies in the same amount of time, like in the same yeah. block of time. He was like, okay, we have a green screen. Let's just make three movies right now. Like, yeah. let's throw All... Rampage in there. Yeah, this and is just yeah. This is just the B roll. I think from, I got some uh, stuff left some from San Andreas. Let's throw that yeah, exactly. in there. <laughs> It's just it's a bunch of like shit that hit the editing room floor, and he like found it and like collected it up, like hair at a barber shop, and he's like, oh, okay, yeah. So, um, did you guys also see the Rampage trailer? Then uh, I don't know if that no. released at, but it was the first time I saw it was during the Super Bowl, and I've seen it in theaters. Oh, really? Yeah, it you played. Have? It played before something. I, okay, I think maybe Star Wars. I don't know. Oh, okay, it yeah, I hadn't bad. seen it before. It looks terrible. It looks awful. <laughs> Um, are there any other tra- Oh, uh, we had a new Infinity War, which I can't even say it was a trailer. It was yeah. literally just their faces. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, wow. We'll see. You used a full like 30 seconds to a minute just showing me all the characters that we're going to have in this yeah. movie. I'm sure this is going to be cohesive. Like, there's, yeah, you're going to have time for yeah. all of these characters <laughs> in a satisfying this, way. This movie, I, I don't know how they're going to make it work, but I hope they do. Speaking of making it work, though. Benioff and Weiss are making Star Wars movies. And, you know, they made a little little show called Game of Thrones. Mm. Little little bitty indie project. And now they're moving to the big leagues over at Disney yeah. to make the movies. Big, big leagues, Their like... pitch is, what if Slave Leia was still a slave? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm I... sure this will be fine. I mean, they've been people like are people are kind of upset about Game of Thrones now that their writing has outpaced the books. They've kind of shown that their writing isn't as good. Like they're better at adapter adapting than actually being content creators and creating something new. Yeah. the The main thing I did want to mention though is the the elephant in the room. Here we go again with two white guys <laughs> making a Star Wars movie when Ka- Kathleen Kennedy promised 
she she made a big deal of like how she was going to go out of her way to get non-white guys like whether it's women or people of color to make the biggest movies in Hollywood and still nothing yeah nothing every single Star Wars movie so far is being made by just a guy dude just just a dude i mean i guess like marvel's trying to take baby steps with with finally getting black panther but i wish that disney wouldn't be so far behind i just honestly i mean the thing that i'm most happy about hearing this news is that it means that benioff and weiss probably aren't making confederate which thank god thank god like i don't know who like they might have had this idea for years and everything but just like Bad timing, man. Like, this is not the climate in which to make a show about what if the South won the Civil War. What if the Sith I don't won care. the <laughs> Sith War? Mm. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're just folding their pitch in the yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. It's like, huh, you guys don't have any ideas. They're, we're going to see race wars in the stars. That's what I've always Race Star Wars. So we don't know if this was one movie or two or three. We just know that they're... They're bringing him in onto the team, and they may even get fired and replaced by Ron Howard. So, <laughs> more than that, likely, that could that could be the news that we're talking about. Well, they three did, months from now, they have been trying to inject humor in Game of Thrones more. So, yeah. All right. Any like other that. news you guys want to talk about? Or should we get into what we've been watching? Yeah, let's get into it. We have uh, a lot. Yeah, we we got a lot. So I'm just gonna mention um, a couple quick things that I've been watching. Still watching Star Trek. Can't really talk too much about it because uh, it's just something that it takes a lot of turns, a lot of cool twists, a lot of plot twists going on, cool character developments, and it's not a really show that I. It's not a show that I can go too much in depth because I, I just want people to have the enjoyment of watching it. If you bring yourself to pay for the CBS All Access fee, it's a it's a well made show and and it's very very entertaining. Um, but another sci-fi show that you can watch is Altered Carbon on Netflix. It's their new wannabe Blade Runner show. Uh, and it's based on a novel of the same name. It's like a series of books. I think there's three of them. This is not a great show. Um, but it looks really cool. It, like, it is visually stunning. There's some really really cool sci-fi imagery in here really cool concepts dealing with uh vr and um, consciousness mixed with digital uh computing because the whole concept of the show is that um technology has advanced to the point where you can store your consciousness on like a hard drive in your spine and so if you die you can just pop that hard drive out and stick it in another body and you just you're going you're going again you're back up back you're, up and running you're altered carbon yeah <laughs> so it it kind of like takes that concept and sees where it can run with it um and it, it does some really interesting stuff it, it it really is lacking in the writing a lot of times the mm. dialogue is really corny um and the the acting is a little bit shaky sometimes um, but it's worth watching if you're into just some weird, crazy sci-fi shit yeah. that just goes like all out weird. Um, cause it's, it's, it's not restraining itself in any way with any of these concepts. It's just going like full force for this weird shit. So if you're into, um, cool visuals and, um, you know, 
action sci-fi type stuff. It's it's worth it. I'd give I'd watch the first two episodes and they're fine. I don't know if I'm gonna keep watching it. My attention might go to something else, but you know, it's not horrible, but you can't really like truly I, recommend it to yeah, everybody. Yeah, don't go into the show expecting something great. I'm not gonna watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just it looks like such a blade runner ripoff. I kind of want to watch it just to yeah. see if it at times it's it like really is. very blatant. Like very, very like you know, with the neon lights and the Yeah, rain. I saw it still and I was like, yeah. Oh Christ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's altered carbon on Netflix. What what have you guys been watching? All right, so I didn't know about this, but Netflix dropped kind of out of nowhere a Fred Armisen comedy special um, called Stand Up for Drummers, which as, you know, resident drummer of the group and comedy uh, fuckboy, I thought I would just watch it real quick. Yeah. How did we not hear about this? I know. Exa- yeah. I mean, Fred, Fred is a guy that he's he's kind of polarizing. Either you, you like him or you don't. Either you kind of get it or you don't. Um, he He's he's kind of here's the thing with Fred. This special is uber specific. Obviously a lot of the material is straight up just for drummers. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the, the other material is straight up just for musicians. And then a lot of the other material is just straight up for people who understand how music. So works. it's just mm-hmm. jokes that are very niche. Yeah. And then he also gets into very broad stuff. He does something kind of his most famous bit um, that he does when he tours, which is he just points at a map of the United States and he gives an oh, accent yeah. for every single state. <laughs> um, My thing with that, because I watched uh, like about half the special and I fell asleep or something, but that whole bit goes on for so long like it's literally 10 minutes of him like pointing down a map and like i can't get enough i mean the crowd loves it too because it's like the the words that he chooses are so random so specific um just like like he's doing north carolina he's like oh that makes me oh you you mentioned something about two pumpkins and it's like (laughs) where did you like his the things he pulls are so like unique and so out of nowhere i've always had a lot of time for fred i've always i mean he was you know he was one of my favorite people dating back to like seventh grade um because because of the classic snl cast um and he does a lot of just really good like bad comedian characters um he has (laughs) one of the one of my favorite bits was about the uh cajon Oh yeah! Oh my god, one? that was really funny. Oh, that just it killed me because it's so true. Because it's like, yeah, they're trying to sell this thing, and it's he's like, if I saw someone using that, I'd just be like, it's all right, man, just clap your hands. <laughs> <laughs> um, just gonna go out to the fire with your phone. <laughs> there were so many things that were genuinely like, as a drummer, extremely relatable, and it was just stuff that I would never even think that I could see someone perform. Like, in what world does someone do stand up for drummers? What and like a good bit of like probably half the audience is drummers too. Like he curated an audience of drummers and there's three kits on stage that he brings up professional drummers, famous drummers to do bits on. Mm. And then he also, at the end of the act, he, there are like eight drum sets going down the middle of the uh, audience (laughs) and he goes through the decades of drumming. And it's not even like a comedy bit for the most part. It's just him doing stylistically. This is what a drum set was like in the thirties. And then he plays it, Um, which I thought was fascinating. If you came into it wanting a comedy show, you might not like it. Like I get why you wouldn't like this. And I get why you wouldn't like Fred because here's the thing with Fred. He would be one of the best comedians like period. If not for one thing. And that's jokes. That's all he needs because you might be thinking like, well, that's all there is to stand up. That's not all there is to stand up. You have to have an observational comedy. You have to have the base observation 
which is like, you know, Seinfeld, let's say, is the best at that. Fred is as good as anyone at having base observations about people. His broad material about just like people in general was so funny and so insightful that he has that part. The next part is the act outs. So after you make the observation, you kind of act it out like, oh, this is what I was just talking about. And he is as good as anyone at that, too. He's so good. He has a naturally funny face and he knows how to work it. He knows how to be hilarious. He's better than Seinfeld's, if we're going to keep comparing, at the act out. But Seinfeld's biggest thing is the joke. He finds the joke at the end of it. That's what punctuates the bit. So this special is kind of just a lot of bits where it's like, are you going to finish that? Like and then he just moves on to the next. Yeah, which is funny because it's it's kind of his style. Is he just like goes? It's very. It's kind of like surreal. He just goes like from one thing to the next to the next. It's really quick. But like sometimes it's just like if you just had a joke at the end of that bit, it would be the best bit I've ever seen. And it's just missing the the one thing at the end that everyone can just like be like, all right, that's where the big laugh is. Because his act outs are hilarious and they get laughs. So I think he takes that as like, all right, cool. Well, he doesn't that's have it. he doesn't have a lot of experience doing stand up, does well, he? He's he's actually performed a lot. Okay. Um, before SNL, he performed some. But, for Blue Man Group. Um, but yeah, it, it does. The the special gets into his past a little bit. He he was in punk bands a lot his whole life. Like he's been a drummer his whole life. Um, it, it has a very heartfelt bit at the end that I also didn't see coming where he shows a letter that he wrote to John Waters, the like classic, mm-hmm. like gore experimental, like comedy director. Um, and it was about how Fred was like just so troubled as a kid. Like he was like, you know, he was like a classic troubled teen where like he just wanted to like fuck shit up. And he wrote this guy a letter and the guy mailed back. And there's like not a joke at the end. There's not even like hardly an observation at the end. He just shows it and he shows the letter that John wrote back and he's like, changed my life. <laughs> like it's really... Fred is just like a weird guy. There are a lot of surreal bits in this that are just super weird. It's um, almost like he's doing a character the whole time. Yeah. Like just putting on a little, which I, I, I think a lot of, uh, you know, standups are doing nowadays is trying to find a whole performance for the entire act and not just telling jokes. Yeah, exactly. It has, yeah, like audio bits and stuff. It's just, I mean, it's very specific, so plenty of people are are gonna, because it starts with drum jokes, which might have been a mistake, but Fred's never been one to really care, like, if everyone likes it. Like, even on SNL, the audience, like, you would hear when he would do these weird bits on Weekend Update or whatever in, like, 2005, like, a third of the audience is fucking losing it, and then everyone else is not laughing at all. Like, that's the reaction with Fred. You're either dying or you don't like it. Um, but, but you recommend it. I, I mean, I loved it. I love Fred, and it's... I mean, I'm a drummer, so I loved all the material. Yeah, it was like the algorithm hit you right Made in the sweet spot. Yeah, well, and it's like... I mean, if you like Fred, you're going to love this. If you don't, uh, you're not going to, because there's a lot of, like, awkwardness. There's a lot of, like, where where am I supposed to laugh at, which mm-hmm. is kind of a thing that he does. But just some, it's the most unique comedy special I've ever seen in my life. It's so, like, only one person in the world could have made this special, which a lot of comedians that have great jokes, which Fred doesn't have, uh, have no perspective. They have no point of view. They have no uniqueness to them. So I prefer the uniqueness to the, like, polishedness. Um, Like, just another thing he does to show the uniqueness is he does an impression of of one of those fast motion uh, videos of a fox decomposing. <laughs> and it's like, how did you, A, how did you, you saw that video and you're like, yeah, I could do that. Like, what, what is going on with this guy's head? Um, so, yeah, I, I loved it. I, I get why you wouldn't. But if, if you're into Fred, then you'll probably like it. Cool. And it's on Netflix right now. Uh, Stand up for drummers, right? Yeah. Just came mm-hmm. out like a couple days ago. Cool. 
Uh, all right, next, we're going to talk about The Good Place Season 2 finale. So if you haven't caught up to The Good Place Season 2 all the way to the end, Episode 12, Chapter uh, 26, chapter, yeah. um, please fast forward because we're going to get into a little spoiler discussion here. Uh, just scroll down, click on those little timestamps. And stamps. it's really not worth being spoiled because this show is yeah. is amazing and you should be so watching spoiler it. spoiler alert. All right, guys. I fucking loved this episode. Yeah. I have been thinking about it a lot and I really want to get your takes as to what's, what's going on exactly. So we left off with the Maya Rudolph judge character um, sort of testing our main characters and seeing if they were worthy enough to go to the good place Mm. uh, or if they were going to be sent back to the bad place. So we, we find out that they're all sentenced. They're all except for Eleanor sentenced to the bad place. Is that, isn't that what she says? But, but Eleanor doesn't want her friends to know that she's the only one. So she kind of like brushes it under. Mm -hmm. She's like, okay, we're all going back to the bad place. Um, And then at the last second, uh no okay i'm thinking of the, the episode before the, before the, the finale yeah, yeah so at the last second of the of the pre of the penultimate episode michael and janet uh appear in the judge's realm and it leads into the finale where we get this whole conversation uh, about how michael is going to be able to save his friends because at this point even though michael is a demon a literal demon from hell We've come to relate to him on a on a human level, mm. and he's come to find a, a little bit of humanity in himself, uh, and he actually cares about these people as friends, mm. and he genuinely wants them to grow and change. And, and he has noticed that even though you could strongly, definitely make the case that they deserve to be in the bad place it, to begin with, that their experiences in the afterlife have changed them mm-hmm. and made them become better people. And he wants to prove that to be true, even though that there's a lot going against him because there's a very key line where they talk about how um, the only reason why they underwent all these changes is because there was a uh, reward at the, at the finish mm-hmm. line. That they weren't becoming better people simply because they yeah. felt the need that that was the right thing yeah, to do. Yeah, it was for a different reason other than to be good. Yeah, so so Maya Rudolph says that it, that inherently makes it so they don't belong in the good place. That reason alone. Yeah. This it gets the show keeps on like I keep on being like, all right, that was you know they brushed on morality and like these heavy concepts, and then the next episode they go deeper and deeper into yeah. them. And I I just I love that about this show. The other thing I love is like. This the stakes are so interesting to see in like a sitcom when like uh, we're used to seeing the whole point of a sitcom is to be comfortable with where they are like with Cheers you're never like oh they're gonna leave the bar like yeah. they never leave the <laughs> yeah. bar so with this show it's like the most extreme version of the exact opposite of that we're like this whole finale for a second we think they're gonna go to like a medium place where they're all like isolated or whatever and you're just like well if they do I mean we're watching that like that's yeah. just yeah. what's happening. 
Like with the office, you're just it's ready like to just kind of give in to just whatever. Is yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so crazy. It's like oh, they could go to hell any episode. They could go to heaven any episode. You have no idea. Like with the office, it's like oh, Jim's in a different office. Oh no, <laughs> like the stakes are so different. It's so fascinating to me because it turns everything that a sitcom is supposed to be completely on its head. Yeah. Which uh, also we uh, we never talked about the episode before the burrito when they actually go through the real bad place and they're in disguise. That's one of my favorite yeah. episodes in the entire series when they episode. go through the museum and they're like <laughs> look at all the the worst human beings ever this is the first white guy to ever have dreads the, the yeah. guy who created ultimate frisbee yeah <laughs> like there was just some amazing jokes yeah there is that, that was a great episode like, that should but that's what's so great about the show is that it has like just really genuine humor that like you can't help but like laugh out loud too. And then it also explores like ethical dilemmas and everything else. Like you said, like yeah. it's, it's crazy how a, just a network sitcom can balance these two yeah. things. And I, I'm just willing to give in to whatever happens next because I love the twist that it took that now we're seeing these characters yeah. in real life. So the, the first season was all about these characters kind of growing and kind of, um, you know, we, we follow, uh, Eleanor very very closely and we kind of see her her growth as a human and her um, I guess realization as to what even is ethics and morals like she mm. used to be a person who that kind of stuff didn't even cross through her mind so with her interactions with Chidi um, and then later with Jason and Tahani she really does get a full not full but like much more bigger grasp on like morals and ethics and then season two we follow the whole ensemble as as a group where eleanor still really is the main character but the show kind of fleshes out all of the other characters so that we're following this whole group as a team so season two becomes a a, a story about a unit a group of people who are working together to achieve a common goal you know they they keep reiterating the fact that they're in this together mm-hmm. you know if they all go to the bad place then they all go together if they all go to the good place and they all go together that's that's what the story comes to a head at at the end is just this whole idea of um friendship and, and teamwork mm-hmm. and then at the very end or or the 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 the, the finale itself is crazy because uh, Michael sends um, Eleanor. We we go back to following just Eleanor, and it really seems like she just came back to life, like she is just alive now. Like her death didn't happen, which is crazy because presumably, you know, I I don't know how time works in the show <laughs> or or in this world, but a lot of time has passed since she died. And now all of that is completely undone by this act of like undoing all of the characters' deaths and having them live out their lives. Is this what is happening, or are we looking at some sort of simulation where they're it's just happening in their heads that they're being tricked into thinking that they're that they never died? I don't think. I think it kind of doesn't even matter. 
because like either way it the the stakes are the same like whether right. or not it's real life mm-hmm. it's like the most important thing that do you they think do the, the right writers way. are asking themselves that same question right now oh yeah season three? i mean i think there's probably a plan yeah like I, as far as this whole show just like it i can just tell it's so planned out yeah like, exactly every step it, the show is always ahead of you like we don't know because like like there's a funny video out of like Mike Sure telling the actors the twist at the end of season one. So I wonder how much he even tells like the writers until it's necessary to. It seems like he kind of makes kinda, it more believable. Yeah, it seems like he kind of keeps information to himself, like depending on if it's best for the story. Um, so I, I guess he's the only he might be the only person who knows. But yeah, I hope he has a concrete plan for this. Um, because so far it really seems like everything has been you know very planned out. So I hope that he's not like trying to figure this one out but i i feel like it is all very planned out but i feel like uh like what we're going to see in season three is that these characters are kind of only good people when the four of them are together if they are actually back in yeah. their life because at the end of the episode michael sends himself back down to earth because eleanor starts doing like going back yeah. to her old ways. like a whole year goes by right after her death and even though she started out actively trying to be a good person because she almost died a year later she's right back where she started because she was doing it for those for the exact reasons earlier she was doing it for a reward for trying to mm-hmm. just trying to be like considered a good person so that she would get some kind of a reward or something and that's not how it worked so she ended up like getting kicked out of her friend's place and all this stuff. And then it took Michael saying Chidi's name for her to like actually go out. Yeah. And well, he didn't even Chidi. say he didn't even he say a quote. Yeah, yeah. It was a quote. It was something. And what do we owe to each it. other? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ted Danson reprising uh, the bartender role. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was definitely like a purposeful thing. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right, but yeah. So sorry for spoiling, but <laughs> we we told you place. plenty of times we could take a break after the or after this discussion to <laughs> yeah. let the audience come back. Um, I cannot wait to see where this show goes next. I I totally agree that it could go either way. Yeah, whether if it's a simulation or real life, it it genuinely it's it's hard for a sitcom especially to keep the whole audience on their toes, but. No one saw that shit at the end of season yeah. one coming, and since then it's been a complete mystery. I there are some heavy, heavy lost influences on this show. Mm. Uh, Damon really has his mark on this one, whether it's directly or indirectly. I mean, I'm sure he's had conversations with Mike Sure, but more than ever, this show feels like lost, and I think it may do some things a little bit better than lost. Uh, only because it's learned from the mistakes of Lost. Also, it's half the episodes of Lost, too. Yeah. So it doesn't lead to such a convoluted story. Yeah, and it's a smaller to cast, out. too. Yeah. So I I love this show. Can't wait for season three. It's going gonna, it's gonna to premiere this year, you know, later this year, hopefully. I don't. I hope they don't push it to 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of leaning a little bit towards simulation. But I'd be fine with it being real, real life. So, I just I feel way, like if these like are like all knowing, all seeing demon gods, then they probably exist outside space and time. Yeah, that so they everything could go back and manipulate. Well, and then the whole idea that all the events of the entire show have happened outside of like regular Earth time. Yeah. So within the span of like Eleanor dying in a half second, we the 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 whole show has happened, mm. and then you go right back to that moment. I just. The thing, the biggest thing with the show is I want to know because you know that Michael Schur has an end date in mind, whether it's 
three seasons, four seasons, five seasons. Like, I don't know exactly how long he has in his head, but I think he has an end date where it was something like Parks and Rec or The Office. Like, he left it all very open ended that yeah. the show would just end whenever he didn't yeah. want to do I it mean, anymore. I mean, because it's hard to say no to more seasons. Right. Exactly. And it just all feels, everything feels so methodical in the show and the way yeah. that it's run. I could see this going for five. I think five is like a good. Yeah. Five, I just, maybe six. I don't know. I think I, I feel like it's going to go somewhere in the four or five range. Okay. I don't know what exact. I haven't looked into how many seasons it's currently been picked up for on NBC. Yeah, because it's not. I don't think it's going to blow up. Like no, well, yeah, it's thing, not like NBC is going to be like, yo, we need like ten seasons of this. And shit. I feel like that's one of the things that probably that I love about this show. But what makes it different from anything else, just on network TV, is that you can't just casually hop in on ep- episode twenty-two. You're going to be like what's happening right now like i have literally no idea what the fuck is going on yeah all right well that's the good place on nbc and welcome back uh thanks for skipping or just listening through that if you want to get spoiled on one of the best shows on tv uh we've been watching a lot of movies this week guys uh it's been kind of a slow new release season so we're kind of going back and watching some classics, maybe some stuff we missed. Um, so, what what should we talk about first, Drew? Um, you wanna well, you wanna well, let's do. I mean, let's go in order of shit that we ha- like. One of us saw to like all of us saw. So we'll end with the stuff that we all saw. Okay. So who I'll, saw who saw Cloverfield? That was me. Okay. Yeah. So I'll talk about that first. So earlier we spoke a little bit about the Super Bowl, and during the Super Bowl they dropped a initial teaser. For this movie called the Cloverfield Paradox, um, and it turns out that they dropped it on Netflix immediately after the game. Genius move on Netflix's part to take away the viewership of This Is Us, the the post the post uh, NBC slot for the game. You'll pry This Is Us from my gold dead hand, <laughs> which that has always been like a prime spot for like whatever network is hosting the Super Bowl. Like they save their best shit for right yeah. after the Super Bowl because that's when everybody just leaves their TVs on. And, and I don't want to take anything in. away from This Is Us, but you know we're I'm sure the numbers for Cloverfield Paradox are huge, 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 huge because it was this is a genius move to just drop an ad boom movie right after the game like for your network like yeah taking viewers away like the, i just can't believe nbc let them do that yeah the the marketing plan for this for this film alone is already revolutionary like i mean we've had the, this has sort of been worked up with the other cloverfield movies the the first cloverfield had a teaser drop that didn't have a title attached to it just a a date and then with 10 cloverfield lane it was like boom trailer this movie comes out a month from now yeah and then this it comes out two hours after the first look so what's gonna happen next is is jj gonna like come crashing in through our window <laughs> and just like shove a blu-ray down a rose <laughs> we're each just gonna get like an unmarked tape delivered to our front door and be like oh what is this and just pop it in it's yeah gonna be cloverfield for i just like i again i i just want to say i haven't actually watched this movie yet but I admire just everything that's done behind the marketing team. It's like genius. I've never seen never seen that before. You drop a trailer and then the movie drops hours later, like and not a even a shit full ton day. of people watch it. Yeah, like that's that's incredible job by the team. I just like I wish that I wish it would have been a better overall product from yeah. what I've heard that it's not a great movie. Well, but... see the the whole reason why this happened is because 
big movies like this, you know, this is a this is a huge production. Like, there's some mm. big actors in this film: Daniel Bruhl, Chris O'Dowd, uh, David Oyelowo. Um, there's there's a, a few others in here. Big big movie, big effects, and I think Paramount saw Paramount and Bad Robot. They saw that the movie wasn't really what they wanted, what they expected. So they kind of like like shipped it off to Netflix, and they were yeah. like, "Look, you you guys take care of this." We're not gonna make our money back if we release this yeah, in this, theaters. Yeah, this was discussed on the watch. It's a it's a very smart thing to do. Like if you have a movie, if you're a big studio, you're like this is kind of a mess. Well, Netflix is fucking full of movies that are kind of a mess, That's, and they don't care. Well, yeah, exactly. And people are less likely <laughs> to care because we didn't have to drive all the way to a theater and pay a bunch of money to watch it. Mm. We basically saw it for almost free. So like you're less likely to be like, well, fuck Paramount for showing me that, you know. <laughs> It it it's just it's a genius way to unload movies. It's great for Netflix because they get more brand new movies from big studios. It seems like kind of a win win. Yeah, uh, and the thing with this movie is it used to be called God Particle, and back when that's, much cooler name by oh, the way, so cool. <laughs> I just I can just picture what that movie should have been like, and it it's it's just amazing in my head. Um, but the the. The script was going around and everyone was talking about it being a really cool sci-fi story. Very interesting. Very just cerebral. And the movie gets shot. And I think this is what Bad Robot is trying to do. Is they take a movie after it's pretty much finished. It's shot and everything. And then they turn it into a Cloverfield movie. We know this happened with 10 Cloverfield Lane. And we can definitely tell it happened with Paradox. And I'm sure it's going to happen with the World War II one. And they're already talking about another one with Daisy Again. Ridley that is probably going to be the same thing. Why I, Why are they doing this? I, I don't know. <laughs> I think they should really try to, from the start, make it a Cloverfield movie. Because it doesn't make sense to retcon it into the series because you can... It's so obvious. Like you watch Cloverfield Paradox and you can tell very, very blatantly what scenes were shot, were reshoots to like retcon it into the Cloverfield canon. And it, I mean, that was the worst part about 10 Cloverfield Lane was whenever it became a Cloverfield movie. And like literally the last 15, 20 minutes of the movie, that movie did not like it should just been released. Like, yeah, just cut the last 20 minutes off. And it's an amazing movie. But then it's the I mean, it's it's sucks. definitely a, like theoretically, it's a move by Bad Robot to get more recognition for the movie. Because right now, what's huge is IP. It's a name that already yeah. has made a name for itself. So now people are watching it just like, well, it's another Cloverfield, but it didn't have to be. I get it, especially if you're going to put it on Netflix, why you would do that, because uh, any movie can just get lost on Netflix right. completely. So if you have the brand ne- recognition, yeah. then that already boosts it up. Yeah, but if you're dropping it in theaters, like just let it speak for itself, I feel like. I feel like it just kind of shows a lack of confidence in your movie. It really is. like this. That's what this whole thing reeks of, is Paramount was like, oh boy, we got a stinker on our hands, let's just... <laughs> throw it at it here and see and see what we can make of it. I mean, apparently they uh, Netflix paid upwards of 50 million dollars for this movie. So, I think they may have made their money back. That yeah. sounds like around what the budget is yeah, that, for this guy. Yeah, definitely. Uh as as far as the movie itself goes, I wouldn't say it's horrible. It's definitely perfectly serviceable entertainment. Um just don't go into this movie thinking that you're going to that your mind is going to be blown or some shit and that you're going to see shit that you've never seen before. 
Uh, it looks cool. It's very well acted for the most part. Like these actors are really talented and they're doing very solid work. Um, just the 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 reason why this movie is just not good is it introduces all of this crazy shit that's happening on this ship. Um, I don't know if you guys know the basic premise, but mm. they have a particle accelerator on the space station and they can only fire it three times. They only have enough fuel for three fires. And on the second one, first time doesn't work. Second time they fire it and Earth disappears. Mm. So they're freaking out on the ship, on the, on the station. And there's so much weird, weird shit happening. And that's where the movie is really cool. When you're seeing all... All of the strange, weird, fucked up shit that is happening on the ship because they fired this particle accelerator. And it's it's really like um, really parallel universes like colliding with each other. Yeah. Um, really cool concept. And you see there's some really cool imagery. But the movie goes on and on and then it ends and you think, oh, so all that stuff that I saw just didn't amount to anything. <laughs> All of these things that were set up were not paid off in any way whatsoever. So you saw this really cool shit and then it just didn't matter. So it's just like, what, what was the point of all that? Mm. What, why did, why do I care about any of this? You know, because it, it's Cloverfield. That's why I care. Like what? <laughs> that's just, that's so disappointing to hear that it just sounds like that's just been the general consensus is that it feels unfinished, which, um, Another thing, uh, you brought up the Watch podcast earlier that they basically asked the question of should Netflix, like Life of Pablo, their movies, like release an extended huh. version of it's it, like cool re edit the movie itself. Like you can drop it, just, you know, like get some views or whatever, and then like tighten it up, maybe add some stuff on, cut some stuff out, and then re release as bright extended edition paradox extended whatever it is like unrated yeah. i mean that opens up a whole can of worms because you think that the whole point of a, of a film is to for it to be a finished product you know you yeah. you think that if you're putting it out there that you're not putting updates it's not like a video game that you like release a patch or even a tv show where you can kind of change like episode to episode you have bad episode you can come back yeah. with a good episode so I, I don't know if I totally agree with that. It'd be interesting to see it. Yeah, it was attempted. just a, an interesting concept. Yeah. of trying to do that. Also, it kind of completely takes away the power from the filmmakers themselves. Yeah. Which I don't know who exactly made Paradox. Um, who the director was? Uh, I don't um, know. I don't know. I don't think it's anyone uh, known. But again, this. I mean, Dan Trachtenberg was a relative unknown before he made Ten Cloverfield. Lane. Oh, I don't think he had made anything. He just did music videos. Um. So it's written. By or Oren Uziel, and it's directed by Julius Ona. Um, okay. Again, this is back when it was God Particle, so I'm not a hundred percent sure how much say they had in the final product. But the directing isn't atrocious. I think the movie just falls apart simply because it is being shoehorned into being Cloverfield. Mm -hmm. If they had found some way to tie all of these crazy things together into a much more cohesive ending, it would have made for a better film. But the ending is just like, oh, so they're trying to explain Cloverfield, essentially. They're just like, oh, these this particle accelerator made it so parallel universes are all colliding. So we have demons and beasts coming from other worlds like just appearing in our world because of all these parallel universes coming together so it's like oh now 
now that's why all of these movies make sense because it's like each movie takes place in a different parallel universe that has a monster in it. So, okay, cool, I guess. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, that's Cloverfield Paradox. Uh, do we want to take a break? Yeah, let's go ahead and take a quick yeah, break. Yeah, I'll just say I uh, I wouldn't completely recommend it, but I'd say it's worth watching if you have nothing better to do. I'm still going to watch it just because, like, that's why I've, just, I've been so disappointed to hear that it's pretty mediocre of a movie just because I really enjoy the first Cloverfield. I think 10 Cloverfield Lane, despite its faults in the last 20 minutes, I still think that's an awesome movie. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. And we get back, we're gonna be talking more movies that we've been watching. We'll be right back. Is this Grand Theft Auto 4? Guys, catch that um, SpaceX launch. Yeah, I, I was, I was like caught up in the meeting, so I didn't get to, I didn't get to see it. But um, I was on it. I was on the rocket in a meeting. Yeah, crazy story. So, so I'm sitting there in my meeting. Next thing I, next thing I know, uh. I, a bag is just put over my head because blackness. And I don't know where I'm being taken. Next thing I know, boom, Elon Musk picks up the bag. I'm in Cape Canaveral. Dude, I, I fucking I'm I'm right there. And then and then Elon is just punching me. Like he's like you fucking nerd. You motherfucking nerd. He's just beating the shit out of me. Puts you in a car, puts you in space. Puts me Yeah. And so I am sitting there on the Tesla. I'm sitting there on the Tesla, like just strapped against my will to this car, and then I just get shot in the outer space. And now you're just—that's why you're calling in today, is because you're currently in. No, so get this. So I'm in space. I'm in the car. I see Earth just getting smaller and smaller behind me. And then I decide, okay, how am I going to get out of this pit? All right. So I just, I'm on, I start scrolling through the Tesla uh, little menu there, and it just says... It's a touch screen? Yeah, it's a little touch screen, and it just says, uh, zap back. Mm. It just says zap back on it. I'm like, oh, oh, thanks, Elon, I get it now. So the question is, are you astral projecting to here, or are you projecting from here to there? No, it, the because the, the dude's still up there. Yeah, still it's, up it's there. an empty suit. Okay, gotcha. or maybe there's bones in there. Your bones. I don't, I don't know how. That's why you can't look like sucks. jelly. Today. You look bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you look, you look you're just worse. a block. The mic is so low. The you mic look, is on the ground right now look, because you have no bones. I didn't want to say anything because I know you've been you have a rough cartilage. Week. So like your nose yeah. and collarbone are still there. Have but. you been doing okay since your bones dissolved? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm just a pile of flesh right now. No bones. God, I hate work meetings. And we're back. But um, 
on another note, did you guys watch the part where the actual like landing thing came out from the rocket? Because that was like some of the coolest sci-fi looking shit. Oh, the ever two seen. boosters yeah, yeah. coming down. The boosters coming down, and then like you just see the little landing pads just like float out from the side and land perfectly. That was really cool. I was like, this is this isn't real life. You know what's also really cool? The Earth being flat. Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, uh, oh, that's not where I thought we were. He actually yeah. is. I just saw a video. He was at a press thing, like a red carpet or something, and there were these two middle school uh, girls doing like for their school newspaper or whatever. And he actually stopped and like let them interview him, and he was really nice. No way. Yeah, I was That's like, wow, awesome. this guy's chill as fuck. Yeah. So ever since we saw um, uh, Phantom Thread, I've been meaning to go back and get a fresh take on There Will Be Blood, the previous Paul Thomas Anderson, Daniel Day Lewis vehicle. This movie, I, I just watched it the other night because I had rented it on Google Play and it was about to expire. So I was like, okay, I got to watch this. This is, without a doubt, one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> Possibly one of the best movies of like the previous decade, if not the best movie of the previous decade. Because every fucking frame mm-hmm. this movie is a fucking work of art. So it's without a doubt one of the best ever made, but possibly one of the best of the yeah. decade. <laughs> Just to... <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of people say that it's the best of the decade. Yeah, I've honestly never seen it, but... I, You know, because uh, I think it was the New York Times that first put out that, uh, that list of the best movies of the 21st century so far last year, and then everybody started kind of doing it, and this was at number one on a lot of lists, and it would yeah. be really high up there on my list. Like, it is... I think this this movie is an utter masterpiece. Like, there's really no other way to put it. I I love it so much. I mean, just the performance of Daniel Day Lewis alone. He he carries this film, and he's playing a character that is absolutely consumed by uh, his quest for wealth and success. You know, he sees oil gushing from the mm-hmm. earth and he sees the dollar signs. He's chasing the ring. Yeah. He's yes. Gollum. So he puts on the performance of a lifetime. He won an Oscar for this film. And this this movie just takes you on a crazy ride as you follow this guy's ascent. The movie starts with him just in the ground, like trying to get oil with his bare hands, mm. just chipping away at the earth. And he slowly gains more power and more wealth and more success to the point where he is blinded by it and he sees nothing else. Mm. Uh, there's also a great performance from Paul Dano as a Sunday school priest, evangelical sort of guy. Did you see, uh, did you catch the scene where Paul F. Tompkins is an extra? Paul F. Tompkins is in this? Yeah, he's an extra in some in like a bar scene or some shit like that. Oh, he always shit. talks about it. He, it makes sense because he looks old timey. I, I did not catch that. Looks like an oil man. I'm an oil man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean this this movie's a classic. I I could talk about it for a long time, but I just I really <laughs> recommend it to everyone. I if you're if you can catch it, I, I want to get the blue for sure. Uh, cause it's, it's a fucking classic. I've been, uh, I've been meaning to listen to the director's commentary on that movie just because I'm sure it's unbelievable. Um, another note on, uh, there will be blood. I think one of the most underrated, uh, things about that movie is Paul Dano's performance because this yeah. is something that we talked about, uh, whenever we talked about Phantom Thread, that when you have an actor that's 
as into a role as Daniel Day-Lewis is. Like, you need a great secondary character there a for foil. him to bounce off of. And Paul Dano is amazing in this movie. Like, this was really Paul Dano's coming out. I wish that Paul Dano got more roles just because he's a great actor. It is he weird. He doesn't that, get enough work. It is weird that if he, like, he nailed it in that movie and then he's he was kind of dormant for a while after that. And now he's he's kind of having, like, a dano if you will. Will you? Yeah, I, okay. sure. Why okay. not? Uh, since Swiss Army Man came out, like, and I Which absolutely was, love, Swiss yeah, I love Swiss Army Man. Man. That's one of the weirdest movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his role in this one is pretty particular. He he's kind of kind of like a slimy guy, but he's complete. He shields all of that with like the whole God Jesus thing, mm. and you can just tell no one's ever done that before <laughs> in real life. <laughs> you can just tell that, uh, that his character is just trying really hard to bring people together because the the whole point of of his side of the story is that uh daniel de lewis is bringing a lot of people onto his land to work on this oil well and with these people come families come women and children and they need something to do so um paul dano's character is like i'll start i'll build out my church i'll build a new church and i'll have everyone come in so as uh the Daniel Day Lewis character, Daniel Plainview, as he becomes much more successful with his oil, Eli Sunday gains more success with his uh, Christianity evangelical church shit. Mm. And there, it's like two parallel tracks of two arcs of two men who gain more and more success in what they're doing and what that does to their psyche. Because, you know, PTA is all about character. The, the plot of this movie falls secondary to the character and the way um, the film is constructed with just giving you these moments of character development that just add up to the grand finale that is the ending of this movie. It's mm. just fireworks. It's amazing. It's... I, yeah. I don't I don't know how PTA does this shit. I'm gonna see it soon so we can talk about it more because I and also you know just because I want to fucking see yeah. it. And and with with PTA I I want to keep going back and watching his all his movies because there's just something about this filmmaker like he he makes movies that don't look like anything else. Like you look at a PTA movie and you know exactly what you're looking at. It's mm. such a unique vision. And they they all have this weird sort of humor to them, and they're all that, like like extremely dry kind of British humor. Even though he's a West Coast yeah guy, well, all of these but... all of his movies are pretty centered around California, mm-hmm. uh, except for Phantom Thread. But they all sort of tell this very similar story about America and ambition and um, just the the pursuit of success. Um, Phantom Thread kind of falls into that a little bit with the ambition aspect yes um but yeah i'm just fascinated by pta as a filmmaker and what he can accomplish what he can bring out of his actors the look of his shots um the the use of sound and music and this is just a absolutely breathtaking film so i i'm glad i got the chance to see it and it's (laughs) it's amazing to see why you know, it gets all the praise that it gets. I've been really wanting to go back and rewatch um, Boogie Nights and Magnolia, yeah. both of which I have. Um, Boogie Nights, I love that movie. Uh, Magnolia, I also like, I really love that movie, but I haven't seen it in probably 
eight years or so. I saw it in like middle school, eight to ten years or so, and like I saw it in middle school, and it blew me away. I thought that it was like one of the gr- best things that like I've ever seen in my life. And now I, I want to go back and watch it now with a fresh take, as especially after seeing more uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movies and just kind of see where it fits and everything. I also have never seen the the Master. Yeah, the Master's a movie or that uh, Inherent Vice. I love the Master. That's a movie that that sticks with you, and it's, you kind yeah. of like think like. What did that even mean, you know? Joaquin Phoenix in that movie is unbelievable. And Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, I mean, obviously. He's unbelievable in everything. But any, you know, people had doubts about Joaquin Phoenix for a while because he did the whole, you know, public freakout career thing. Um, He, in that movie, it's one of the best performances I've ever seen. It's crazy. Yeah, I would love to go back and keep watching some older PTA movies. Have you ever seen Inherent Vice? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Inherent Vice is weird. It's all about this detective who is just like high the whole time. And he's trying to like solve a case while being high as fuck. And uh, you just you get put into the headspace of this character. So you feel high because the movie is just like kind of like this weird, like faded sort of dream. Is that like some fear and loathing kind of vibes? A little bit. A little bit. Fear and loathing is a lot more like eccentric. Yeah. True. Yeah. All All right. right. What have you guys been watching? Um. So quickly, I just wanted to say. um, So. My girlfriend, Gaia, went and got a new tattoo, or technically she got a cover-up tattoo, um, since Jesse Lacey is now a rapist. Mm-hmm. So She had a tattoo that said, Jesse Lacey is not a rapist. Yeah, yeah She, she had, she had, she had to, to get that. a W on there, where the T was. <laughs> but uh, she was getting some tattoo work done, and uh, we were in uh, this guy, Alex, which if you're in Orlando, guy, check him out, his place is Image Inc. Really awesome guy, does great work and everything, and... Uh, we're over there, and like he plays a bunch of music and stuff like that, like really good music. And then he also just has a ton of movies and stuff like that, because you know people go in there, and it's nice to sometimes have like something on in the background that you can kind of tune into and like kind of distract you while you're getting stabbed. Mm. Um, and he bought in the Book of Life because we got talking about Pixar movies and everything else, and Coco was brought up, and he was like, "I refuse to watch Coco just because I know that movie is like a blatant ripoff of the Book of Life." And honestly. After watching The Book of Life in its entirety, I totally understand why you would say that. They are almost identical in, like, their central stories that they tell. The only difference is in The Book of Life, there's a central, like, main love interest, Mm -hmm. which there isn't in Coco. Coco's just about the family, but this still plays a huge... A family plays a huge part in this movie. The actual imagery of, as far as the Day of the Dead, or the uh, Land of the Dead goes is almost identical where it's just soaring layers of like neon lighting colors yeah and it follows a child who wants to be a musician when everybody in his family tells him that he can't be a musician he has to be a bullfighter like wow that's wild yeah it's crazy how similar of movies they are they he encounters his dead relatives in the afterlife and everything like it's it is almost spot on as far as like a ripoff of uh, Coco is as far as the Book of Life. Supposedly, though, that it was not a ripoff. They were both like genuinely just in development at the same time. Yeah, which I mean is is more understandable, but it's just kind of crazy that Book of Life came out three years yeah. before Coco, yeah. but yet they share such similar. Well, vibes. Coco actually went into development before yeah. Book of Life, but Book of Life they they made the entire film. They made and released the entire film while they were still working on Coco. Just because Coco had so many development problems, I still think Coco is a better overall movie namely that the animation coco is just 
Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. And the emotional and impact. Book of Life, I don't know if you guys have ever seen any of it. It almost looks like, I think Gaia said that they kind of look like Lego characters. Like, hmm. every, it's a very odd art design choice, but like... Like block people? Yeah. It works sometimes and it doesn't work other times. Is this DreamWorks? Who is yeah, this? It's yeah. DreamWorks. Is it? It's DreamWorks. But it's directed by Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> and no, it's not. Look it up. It's a GDT flick. I'm it's directed? You. Yeah. Oh, shit. Directed by GDT. It's an... Like, I still think that it was it was a really good movie. No, it's movie. directed by Jorge R. Gutierrez. Or is it... Uh, it's, it's I know it's produced... Okay. Produced by GDT. It's, it's executive produced by GDT. All right, so my bad. He wasn't directed, but I know he, GDT was heavily involved in this movie. Um, I don't think that he gets a writing credit, but I know that like he was in the room and everything mm-hmm. while decisions were being made with this movie. Uh, like I said, it's... If I was kind of going to describe it to anything, I would compare it, of course, to Coco and a little bit of like um, Kubo and the Two Strings kind of vibes at some points mm. of just like a young boy going on a journey with his ancestors and or Is there parents. a silly dog? And there's no silly dog. I'm out. The, yeah. <laughs> it's actually not DreamWorks. It's uh, it's 20th Century Fox and Real Effects Creative Studios. Oh, really? So I don't know what just, other... I thought that it was DreamWorks, but then again, this was also on in the back of a tattoo shop, but I ended up like watching it a lot just because I was fascinated by how similar yeah. it was to, hey. uh, oh, there actually, there is a fun, there's not a fun dog character, but there is a fun pig character. Mm. So if you're interested Ice in that. Ice Cube is in it. Yeah. Ice Cube plays like a cloud person. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what his character is. His character looks so out of place because everybody is like block people and then he's like, <laughs> A, just a CGI cloud person. Cool. It's Fuck the weird. police. <laughs> All right, Drew. What have you been watching? Well, yeah, let's let's get into it. Who else saw The Departed? Um, I, I've, I I've have seen, seen it seen multiple it. times. Okay, I just saw it for the first time. It's, I mean, obviously it's one of the bigger movies of the past 20 years. Uh, just on cast alone, it's unbelievable. Um, I mean, we can just run through it. Jack at the top, and then you have Leo and Matt Damon playing parallel roles, which I thought was very, very cool. Yeah, it's it's based on uh, an Asian flick, Internal Affairs. Yeah, it's it's a yeah, it's a Japanese movie that uh, plenty of people on IMDb will be very quick to be like, uh, no, it's way worse than the Japanese movie. But I I wouldn't know. Um, this it's directed by Scorsese. Still going down the cast. You have Alec Baldwin. You have Mark Wahlberg. You have uh, Martin Sheen. Wow, it's it's, it's completely outrageous. Leo, um, yeah, and then Vera. Um, oh man, what's her last name? She's Farmiga. In, yeah, she's in the the Conjuring and a bunch of. She's like the mom in the uh, the new uh, Bates series. Um, it's it's. I mean, it's obviously a male heavy cast, but this movie is wild. Directed by Scorsese, it's a. It feels like a classic Scorsese movie. It's got a lot of set pieces he's kind of reusing from his old movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the the plot line based on the Japanese movie is just off the bat gold. It's an incredible. It's just a. It, you hear the story in two sentences, and you're like, oh fuck, that's a great movie because it's about um, a mob boss takes in. A former uh, cop who he doesn't know is a mole for the cops still. And only two people know this, Wahlberg and Martin Sheen. And then Matt Damon is a high-level intelligence officer in the police who is actually a mole for the mob. So the movie is essentially about Matt Damon and Leo trying to figure out who each other are. Because they're like, oh, there's a mob in the... Or there's a mole in the mob and there's a mole in the cops. Oh, we got to find who they are. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, that's an incredible plot line. Like, yeah. that's, that's just... You hear and you're like, that's a movie. 
Um, so it had that going for it, and it also had this insane cast, and it's also Scorsese, and it, it pretty much lived up to my expectations. A lot of people say it's uh, the the modern, the best modern Scorsese f- uh, film. I don't, I don't know if I like Wolf better. I might like Wolf of Wall Street better, but this this movie is just. I mean, you watch and you're like, this is classic. Like it's just an instant classic movie. It has. A, a million quotable lines. Yeah. I mean, it won the it won Best Picture. Mark Wahlberg is out of fucking control in this movie. <laughs> he he's only on for like maybe ten minutes total. He won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor out of this oh, whole shit. cast. He won it because he is he's batting a thousand with just being like a fucking batshit Boston yeah. guy. He is. Per- it's perfect casting. <laughs> yeah, probably him. because he is a batshit Boston guy. Um. Yeah. It's a it's a classic like Boston Irish mob movie. A lot of insane amount of swear words, which it gets flack for because people are like, oh, write a real movie. But that's <laughs> do you think people in the Boston Irish mafia don't yeah. cuss yeah. like every word they say? It um, also it also won best film editing. It best was, director. It got and a best lot. It's definitely I mean, it's definitely the best modern mob movie since like yeah. Goodfellas. Yeah. Uh, also, Godfather. Scorsese. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It has the story. It, you don't want to squint too hard at it because it, it has a couple of issues with believability that I, I mean, I was able throughout the movie, I was able to ignore it and just enjoy the movie. But afterwards, you're like, huh? So he knows Jack Nicholson knows that Leo is a former cop from like four months ago, and he doesn't even suspect him when he finds out there's a mole. And he does suspect him. But you I mean, if you're in the mob, you immediately kill the guy who was just yeah. a, who was just a cop. Yeah. Um, so Mark Wahlberg actually did not win the Oscar. He was nominated, but he lost. Really? Yeah, he lost to Alan Arkin in Little Miss Sunshine. Alan huh. Arkin. Yeah, it's also a good performance. But <laughs> I, the ending of this movie is definitely my favorite part. It's like some shit. It almost is like Tarantino esque in like how it's yeah. just so violent. It's a very Tarantino like, ending. It's, it's just, it, but a, it's so perfect. Yeah, it's like a so red satisfying. wedding, just bloodbath, and it couldn't have ended in any other way. I feel like if it ended with everyone just kind of getting away or like, you know, um, Shawshank Redemption style ending, I'd just be like, shut up. Like, this is a mob movie. Someone's got to die. Everyone's got to die. Um, Matt Damon does great in a kind of thankless role because he's playing the guy, you, you know, you don't root for him and he's not like out of control like Jack is. Jack is kind of not not at his best at all in this movie. His accent is bad, first of all, but then he's. I don't know, it's just kind of like a... It, it reminds me of like what people say about Brando in his later years, where it's like he was just kind of winging it. Like yeah. He was just kind of going for it uh, to mixed results. Uh, there was there are a lot of um, behind-the-scenes things of like, oh, he, Jack just wanted this scene in there, and they were like, eh, we're not going to do that. Um, like, But there's there's one scene that got in, because he wanted there to be a whole scene where his character's like in a sex shop, like buying a bunch of dildos. <laughs> and, and Marty's like, why? why? You're a mob boss. And he's like, nah, man, it'll work. And he's like, no, we're not going to do that. But then Jack later, there's a scene in like a porno theater, and Jack just like, without telling anyone... He just improvises this take where he brings in like a, a dildo that he he had already bought the dildos for this scene that he wanted. <laughs> so he brings in one of the dildos and he just like whips it out in front of Leo. He's like, ah, my dick. <laughs> and that actually made it into the movie. Um, but yeah, this movie, it, it's great. It's got a great plot. Like I said, a couple little issues, but how I mean, I can't fault it that much for those. It's got a very complex plot line. It, it deserves the best picture. Oscar. Yeah, I mean, and the direction is just absolutely. Yeah, fun. the director says he won best director for yeah. this one. Okay. Yeah, it, it won. Sure. pretty much everything that year there was some weird politics stuff where uh 
Leo didn't want to go up against because there are essentially three people from the movie who could have been best actor nominated because mm-hmm. they had enough screen time, Damon, Leo and Nicholson. So Leo was like, well, I don't want to go up against my castmates. So he decided to make his studio do a big push for Blood Diamond to get nominated instead, yeah. which is stupid and didn't work. And Blood I'm, Diamond's a great movie, though. I don't want to take anything away from Blood Diamond. That's a really good movie. <laughs> and did anyone else get nominated from the movie for Best Actor? Uh, I'm looking at it now. I, I don't, don't yeah, no. no, exactly. So no one got ended up getting no, nominated. No, Leo, Leo got the Blood Diamond nom, but, yeah, but the other Yeah, the other noms were um, Ryan Gosling for Half Nelson, Peter O'Toole for Venus, Will Smith for Pursuit of Happiness, and then the winner was Forrest Whitaker for The Last King of Scotland. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I, I think Leo could have, he could have gotten the award for this movie. It was kind of a weak year, and he, I mean, he nails it as, uh, he's like a down on his luck. Like, he's really smart, and he just wants to prove himself, so he's willing to do all this bullshit, and he's like, he's just a broken person. He's very mentally ill. Um, he has some good scenes with uh, Vera Formiga, like decent chemistry between them. She does great. Um, I, I like her in everything she's in, honestly. Vera yeah. Formiga, very underrated. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, what do you guys think? I think it's a great, great movie. It's not perfect, but like, I, how many I, movies are perfect? You know? I remember really, really loving this movie last time I saw it. I, I would love to go back and, and revisit. I think it'd be cool to go back and revisit a lot of Best Picture winners. That, that'd be really cool to do. Yeah. Um, but spoiler I, crash is not <laughs> I remember really loving this movie it's and just the it's, cast and yeah, just it's how just, fun it is it, yeah exactly it's one of those movies with like a million lines that are just like quotable and a million scenes that you remember like I just when I think of it I instantly there's a scene I think of which is kind of a good sign for a movie yeah if you instantly oh man the scene where he smashes his head with the glass at the bar um, and then there's just plenty of, like especially Wahlberg is just like nailing it but it's it has some very funny writing. Like, it's very funny at times. I mean, I think that this, like, the best thing about this movie is the acting. That's why I, I'm shocked that none of the actors got any kind of best picture or best actor love just because. Yeah, it was a political thing because I think it would have been Leo. Like, he was the guy that they were going to go for. And he was like, not. Nah, and Leo gave one of his best performances of his career in that movie. I mean, he's always you, great. You were talking about Jack Nicholson. And I do kind of agree that it does seem a little bit like he is kind of phoning it in a little bit but it works it works just because of who he is that he can just be kind of that godfather type role where he's just like very kind of subdued but he'll like go fucking crazy whenever he needs to yeah he'll bring a dildo into the theater (laughs) at at the end he's just like the most over the top like it's kind of in the writing also but like there's a scene where he just comes out of the back of the bar and he's just covered in blood and he's like oh hey what's up (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah this is a great movie watching this and then watching the next movie we're going to talk about kind of made me like the next movie a little less because the next movie is comparable in some ways it's oceans 11 yeah i i really think departed is definitely a better made film but they both have this um the whole ensemble yeah they're both yeah they're both just like stars like super groups basically yeah like holy shit also matt damon's in both of them yeah so oceans 11 is on netflix now and you can all go and watch it at all you listeners you know the we we can't talk about new releases every week on the pod, especially in this springtime season. Listen. So I think it's it's good to kind of make a good recommendation of what you can pick in the sea of never-ending shitty streaming titles out there. Uh, I really think that Ocean's Eleven is a great candidate for a perfectly good, entertaining, fun movie that you can put on and watch and be engaged 
uh, yeah. and not feel like you're wasting your time. This yeah, is... it's it's a good mix of like it's engaging and it's fun, but also you do not have to think at all yeah. really with what's happening. You can just kind of watch. It's such a fun movie. Yeah. Like this is what this is what cinema is at its core is entertainment. You know, yeah. we we a lot of times we put all of these artistic uh, metrics on it because it is an art form, but it at its very very core cinema is entertainment and this is a movie that is not only entertaining but it's also very well made and well acted well edited well directed um obviously it's not a perfect movie but i have such a damn good time watching oceans 11 like i was so excited to put it on and watch it all the way to to the end because i know how it ends and i know that everything that leads up to that final heist is just beautifully paid off. Uh, it, it's it is a little dated. Um, a little a, bit. It is a little dated. It's what two two thousand one, I think. Um, right at the beginning of the cent the century, but it's just a great heist movie. Uh, it is a remake of the nineteen sixties Rat Pack film, mm-hmm. but Soderbergh managed to take that story and update it in a way that kind of became a little bit of a story about fame and celebrity and what these guys can get away with because they're so uh, charismatic and pretty. So there, yeah. there's a little bit of a meta layer to yeah, this it, it actually had five writers, uh, the movie did. And it's it's definitely... like That's the main thing about the movie. It, it rides on charisma. It's a charismatic movie. It looks good. The people in it look good. Uh, it's It has some decent humor in it. Like, not... Not like, you know, top level, but like pretty funny stuff. Uh, Casey Affleck and James Caan's son, whatever that guy is. Yeah. Uh, they play these bickering brothers that are pretty funny, but Scott like... Scott can. But like absurdly one note. Like yeah. that's that's it. That's the only thing about them is that they fight with each other. And um, there's there's a lot of that in this film. You know, it's a lot of character ar- archetypes. They each That's kind of the whole point of the team is each character fits into a very specific role yeah. that they need to pull off this heist. Yeah, I was it's the only one that was kind of like, huh, it's like, oh, George Clooney plays a charismatic guy who fucks. Brad Pitt on the other hand plays a charismatic guy who fucks. <laughs> like it's they're kind of the same guy. I, I love Brad Pitt in this movie. Oh, though. they're both great, Brad but they're Pitt's, the same. I would say that uh like Clooney's just a good charismatic figure, but he's I feel doing like it's thing. not his best work at all. Like he's just kind of having fun, just being the smooth charismatic guy. He's got to get his girl back. Like I think uh, you were saying last night, whenever I was talking with you, Drew, that uh, just kind of there's no real motivations for anybody except yeah. for Clooney in this, except for the fact of it's a heist. Yeah, they're, they're just, all getting they're money. all heist guys. But you don't You're need like, to oh, know. These guys are heist you don't guys. need to yeah. know a money. single thing about their background or who they are as a person. It's just like, oh, he's good at cracking vaults, or he's good at doing this one thing and then that's it um i mean there's so many people in this cast that yeah. it would get relentless if you try to go into so a, long. an emotional arc for each character so i i do like that we do just get the one emotional arc with the julia roberts character with clooney and andy garcia yeah, which i don't know if that arc really worked really works or holds up that great but but that's not what the movie's about exactly yeah yeah that's why i can look past it is just because this is just a fun heist movie and like I love heist movies. Like, I love a good heist movie. Oh, yeah. Mission Impossible, just all that kind of shit. Like, it just, I I love that stuff. (laughs) That, like, breaking in, stealing jewels, money, and everything else. And Soderbergh is kind of a master at creating heist films. Uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit about Logan Lucky later, and we can kind of draw comparisons between Lucky and this movie, just because 
like just if you look at it from a grand sense, they're the exact same movie with oh, yeah. like a different face on them. Like they For just sure. changed the skin on it, and then that was it's still the same exact machine. Um, but I think Oceans does work a little bit better than Logan Lucky, just because this is more fun. The humor is more memorable, um, and just kind of it's it's just kind of overall more enjoyable to watch these characters and their chemistry together. Um, Bernie Mac, RIP. I yeah, love his character great. in this, um, in this movie. And I actually think Matt Damon gave a better performance in this than he did in the departed just because he's more of just like a goober in this movie. Yeah. That's just like the nerdy dweeb guy. That... He doesn't get a lot of screen time, but he's pretty good with what he does. Get. Yeah. I mean, he's overshadowed um, by Brad Pitt and, Clooney for most of it until the very end where he does get his little moment to shine and he kind of has a a pretty serviceable part on the team and it's like oh this guy's just not not just standing there doing nothing like he actually has a viable part to play Mm -hmm. in this whole plan and I think that's where this um, movie sort of hinges on is like the final uh, heist it's like Everything leads up to the final heist, and the movie is made or broken by it, and I think it works beautifully. I had such a great time watching this whole entire sequence, even though I knew exactly how it was going to play out. I I was still engaged and entertained Mm -hmm. and surprised somehow, even though I had seen the movie before. Uh, It's just a a tribute to great performances and great directing by Soderbergh. The the way he moves the camera, the the editing, like the cross cut that that is happening. um, Just really, really cool stuff. Um, We saw Logan Lucky last night, and I think Logan Lucky is Soderbergh a little bit more weathered a little bit he he's still a really competent director but he's a little less willing to take risks and do weird shit mm. and try different things i think oceans just has a, a lot of just energy to it mm. uh which is something that i felt a little bit lacking of logan lucky uh oceans just has this like just quick snap in like just bop your your, uh, yeah yeah Yeah. bop your hips to it just like the whole movie you're just like oh yeah like the 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 yeah just the the whole propulsion aspect of the story um felt really cool really fresh i think that's why it's sort of this movie is 17 years old at this point Mm. and i think that is probably the main if not the only reason why we are still talking about it and why it's been memorable because when I think of Ocean's Eleven, I think about the quick snappy editing, the music, the banter, yeah. the, the cool jokes between all these characters. It's very cool. It kind of disappointed me. Like I had never, I had never seen it. I, I'd seen it. Like it was obviously always on TV and I was like, Oh, that looks like it's good. And then I saw it and it is good. Um, but I don't think it's great. I think it's, I mean, it's insanely fun. I can't disagree with it's any silly. of that. It's silly. It's fun. It's hell. silly. It's well-directed. There, I just wanted to know one thing about one person in the whole movie. Anything at all. Just something. Like, is someone have a fact about them that I can learn? <laughs> like, George Clooney. Damon's wa- the dweeb. Yeah, he's a dweeb. Clooney wants a girl. I think that's what Logan Lucky did a lot better. That Yeah, yeah. that's why I ended yeah. up liking Logan Lucky better. Because it actually feels like it's starring people that are uh, in the world like that yeah. have lived a life before this with oceans 11 it's great but it's just like these guys like 
they were just like doing nothing forever and now this is like their thing like there's just they don't have any i know it's it might be too much to ask from a fun movie but like any layer any dimension to any of these characters would have been great um i think that may add to what i was talking about earlier about this movie having a little bit of a meta aspect to it is that these are performers you know they're putting on an act to get away with this shit we constantly see them put on disguises put on accents uh pretend to be people that they're not to get away with this heist so i i think the reason why we don't get to know them is because the movie is exploring the reason why they are able to get away with this shit and get away with the heist is because they're acting it's kind of it's kind of a fantasy movie in that way it's like man what if i was just so cool i could do whatever the fuck i wanted that's what it wants you to think when you watch it okay well uh to your point like i honestly think that oceans 11 uh did a better job of without telling you that these people are geniuses it showed you i where with logan lucky you watch these characters interact and the way they live their lives and you're like this guy can't pull off a massive heist like it's less it's i found logan lucky be much less believable than oceans 11 yeah the only hint you get is that they've been doing it since they were little kids yeah uh, the, but that's they, that that's really in, that's in it. which film and Logan, Logan Lucky, Lucky. Yeah. like where they, they just passingly mentioned like, oh, they've been doing this since like forever. But like that they're going to pull off almost single-mindedly just one crazy-ass fucking heist where with Oceans, you get more of the time of them kind of scouting out everything. And George Clooney, I mean, his character was awesome just as like the distractor. Like I don't remember exactly everything they go through, but uh, Clooney at the very beginning of the movie mentions that like each of them have like a, a part. They're like, we have the Miss Daisy and the, yeah. like we, they each have like a role to fulfill. And he was just the guy who was just supposed to distract everybody. And I think that that all like that, whole arc and storyline worked better for me than anything in Logan Lucky make me believe it was believable. Logan Lucky I still really enjoyed, but I found Logan Lucky be I don't want to say cartoonish, but a little bit like so unbelievable. It was still a fun I mean, ride. Oceans, it's not meant to be believable. Oceans Neither definitely of these has are. a lot of cartoonish elements. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think Soderbergh in general does with his heist. He's not making massive believable things because he's taking real people who don't have these kind of expert military training techniques that they need, right. and basically giving real people doing extraordinary things. Yeah. I at least with Oceans, the the high sequence itself again is worth watching the movie mm-hmm. like i think that that scene or series of scenes entire sequence is one of the best sequences in modern cinema it's hugely hugely entertaining incredibly satisfying on so many levels and it's so rewatchable and i think that that's all a credit to soderbergh the way in the style in which he shoots the heist scene because uh, i was talking a little bit to you guys about last night but watching oceans uh today i was kind of realizing that the way that soderbergh directs is like the big difference between something like oceans and something like the movie focus which came out a couple years ago that's a movie that's very similar in the way in which the uh the actual the story that tells it's meant to mislead you and kind of misdirect you and you're not really sure you feel like you're along with these group of characters performing this kind of heist type thing but focus is just kind of forgettable and instead of with watching something like oceans you want to go back rewatch it and kind of pick up on all the little things 
something with focus, you're like, oh, I was deceived. Got me. I guess I'm never going to watch that movie again. <laughs> like, and that's exactly how I felt while watching that. It was a perfectly fine movie, yeah. but it's the the way in which you present the story just makes the biggest difference in the world on how memorable. Yeah, with oceans, around. you're like satisfied to be deceived. Yeah. You're like, ah, you got me. Yes. Even even though I didn't love it, it does. Like, you can't deny when you watch it. It's the same feeling as to part where you're like, oh, this is kind of classic. Yeah. Yeah, it's a modern. It's a it's modern classic. Feel. And before we move into Logan Lucky, I uh, I just want to say that i i think we can all at least recommend this movie you know i'm i'm a little bit hotter on it than, than you guys but you guys can say that this movie's definitely worth watching for, oh yeah i mean for, like, for anyone really like i said at the beginning i love heist movies like yeah. heist movies make me feel like i just want to go like fucking rob a bank or something so it's, it's so on i'm ne- gonna rob a bank today <laughs> it's on netflix right now so are uh oceans 12 and 13 but we're not gonna talk about those because they're not very good uh th- <laughs> this is uh this is the the one that's we're recommending uh if you're just in the mood for a heist film and so are 12 and 13 same cast but then one more person yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's really funny yeah uh 12 i cannot tell you a single thing that happens in 12 <laughs> very forgettable movie 13 i think al pacino is in it oh okay um i think or not, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Andy Garcia is the 13th member. Wait, he joins them? I think so. I think that's what happens what in 13. Fuck? It just goes like <laughs> weird, crazy. But so Soderbergh was supposed to retire back in 2013 when he made uh, Behind the Candelabra for HBO. And before that, he said he was going to retire after uh, was side, side effects. effects. Yeah, so side effects and Behind the Candelabra both came out in 2013. And okay. he was like, all right, this is it. I'm going to become a painter. Uh, I'm quitting. And then he made the Nick on Showtime, I'm pretty sure. Mm. And with the Nick, he directed 20 hours of TV, which beats David Lynch's 18 for Twin Peaks. But uh, let's see. Sorry. Let's see his paint side by side (laughs) with David Lynch. Guarantee you Lynch is a better artist. So so he made the Nick and he was like, well, I guess I'm just going to do TV now. But then he got his hands on this Logan Lucky script, which... I'm sure whoever wrote it was inspired plenty by yeah. Ocean's okay. Eleven. Okay, so we, can we talk about? Guys, yeah, I yeah, can we talk, talk about the this. writer? So this this movie is written by somebody named uh, Rebecca Blunt, and there is no information as to who this person is. And that's not a real person. Like, and the highest, it's heavily, heavily rumored. Like, it's almost not even a rumor that it was actually his wife who wrote the script under yeah, a pseudonym. That, that is one of the theories. I actually think that he wrote it himself. Yeah, maybe him and his wife did a combo thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I really do believe because there is a precedent, because uh, Soderbergh is credited with the director of photography and the editing credit for this film. So he shot and edited, but it's under pseudonyms. So if you go into IMBD, it says that he has the that he shot and edited this movie but in the credits it's under a different person so there's already the president the 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 precedent there why not assume that he also wrote it under a yet another pseudonym so there's a huge mystery around who actually wrote logan lucky Adam Driver and Daniel Craig both claim that they exchanged emails with somebody named Rebecca Blunt. Hmm. Um, so this, it's it's strange. There's a lot of weird shit going on. I don't know why they would cover up who wrote the film. 
So um, it, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, so let's let's get into it. This movie pleasantly surprised me. I really enjoyed this movie. It's really flying yeah. under the radar. No one's really talking yeah, about it. it came I, out last year. I was year. thinking about why because I was I was like right when I saw it, my initial reaction was just why is this not getting more buzz? Um, and then I I was kind of thought about it and it's like well it's not the best at anything in particular it's not like it has the best directing of the year it doesn't have yeah. the best acting performances even though i did want to talk about shanning tatum he's like, great he mm-hmm. was good in the probably uh, the best in the film he was really good in the wrestling movie to the point that you're like oh that's good and he's very funny in the jump street movies where you're like wow he's funny too he's not like a hunk anymore necessarily he's kind of aged out of that yeah he's he's just fucking great in this movie like i was yeah, like he kills what? it he brings a lot of heart into yeah, this exactly. film uh-huh. he makes you really give a shit he plays like kind of a, a down on his luck former homecoming king like high school quarterback who's now he's got a limp and he's like you know he's getting fired from jobs like doing like really like blue collar stuff yeah um and it's set in west virginia um, and also, the, the John Denver sh- uh, song plays a huge part in this film. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, like an integral part of the plot. Yeah, so it's it's a, just a story about him, uh, and he's lost his daughter because his wife has fo- his ex wife, who's Katie Holmes, who I almost didn't even recognize at first. She's good. I I dug yeah. her. She did a good she, job. Yeah. The I mean, one of the big gripes of this and the Oceans movie is like the female characters are like so underwritten. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, like they almost have no character at all. Yeah. So um, he he orchestrates a heist with his brother and sister played by Adam Driver, who is doing his best uh, Billy Bob Thornton impression <laughs> throughout the movie. It's it's like uncanny. Yeah. A one handed Adam Driver. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought he was good. Not great. Yeah, uh, I've seen Adam Driver act way, way better than he, he has. I mean, he, he always makes he always makes interesting choices. You got to say mm-hmm. that. But like, yeah, sometimes it was just like he's kind of sometimes he was kind of in a different movie. Like it was a, it was a bit off tonally. I just didn't get the character. It's like he's supposed to be like an Iraq vet. Yeah, he's turned a, bartender. Yeah, he's like the he's the little brother of Channing Tatum, who was like way less cool his whole yeah. life. That's established. And so. Uh, Channing is going to be big, and so the little brother just joins the Iraq war and gets his arm blown off. Um, there's a lot of good uh, comedy with with uh, his lines, though. He's he's pretty funny. He has some decent deliveries. Um, Seth MacFarlane's in the, in the I, I think that he was legitimately not. He was probably one of the worst things that was about so this movie. Weird. Like, Se- I don't understand he what he was like doing. He plays like this like, British... Uh, nascar team owner his seth mcfarland's problem is that he's always if even if he's on screen he's always voice acting yeah (laughs) like it doesn't seem like he can do much of anything else um yeah so yeah he plays a nascar like chief of a of a crew crew chief i guess you could say (laughs) um and he he's in the beginning and you're like huh seth mcfarland that's weird and he does end up i like how i think he did suck but i think it was very uh it was fun how he did come back in the third act and play an integral role yeah because at first you just was it really that integral the integral though the more that i think about it i'm kind of wondering if we could just completely done without his character i mean we yeah we definitely i mean it wasn't like he has to be in the movie but it was why that entire sequence was added which i enjoyed seeing the little plot line with the the nascar driver coming back and he's like oh my body's a hard drive yeah and uh, i don't know if we want to spoil but the guy that plays the nascar driver was a very very fun cameo yeah. uh and the two actors that play the fbi agents um 
investigating the heist two other great cameos very unexpected yeah i okay that was i because i actually do have some gripes with this movie overall i still really enjoyed it but hillary swank like why is she in this movie why why is she even in this cast like it doesn't really make sense to me why she was there or what she was doing in the movie like she was just very robotic fbi agent <laughs> you found the insurance money is that right she like does weird stuff with her eyes and i i was not digging her character in this but um I didn't really mind that because she's in the movie for like five minutes and that's yeah, it. Yeah. But um, kind of just pops up at the end. I just I didn't think that the emotional core of this movie really hit in any kind of a memorable way. We do have a little bit of the stuff with the brothers, and then I think what is well, meant the, to the be Channing the emotional. Tatum, yeah. Well, I think what's meant to be the emotional tearjerker moment is the point where uh, he goes to his daughter's dance recital or uh, beauty pageant, I should say, and uh, she like acapella sings country roads take me home and i just that scene just didn't work for me like i, I thought just don't it was know. sweet it worked for me i thought it was i thought it was good but like i wasn't like tearing up or anything like that like i was, I was like, like oh i just wanted to get back to the fun heist stuff and i think that's why i kind of like oceans more is because oceans didn't take itself as seriously at points as logan okay. lucky did um i just like i i was all in on all the stuff with the the like super genius heist. Everything is so meticulously thought out. I love that whole part, but I just didn't, the, the relationships didn't always work. It felt like I could have, I either wanted a little bit more there to make me care more, or I just wanted less of it. In yeah. General. And going back to your, uh, you know, we, we chose to pair this film with oceans so that we could compare them. And going back to the point that you made about this being like pretty much the same movie, but with a different skin on, I did appreciate the slight details as to how different this is from Oceans because Oceans is a movie that's filled with like gadgets and glamour. Mm-hmm. And this is the opposite of this that. This is the complete opposite. Like they the way they steal the money is the most like just rudimentary basic yeah. like just yeah. bare Daniel bones. Craig making a bomb out of bleach and gummy yeah. bears. Yeah. yeah. Like just so it's, so bare bones. I, I really love the setting of this movie just because it's some place that you don't see much. I appreciate when people try to shed light on a place that you do not you don't see movies in West Virginia. Yeah. And this movie And they shot it like in this area too. Yeah and at it, the NASCAR speedway. And it was also it, it kind of skirted the line really well between it wasn't just completely making fun of these people and it also wasn't saying hey all these people are great like there are good people in the movie and there are bad people in the yeah. movie just like there are good people in West Virginia and bad people in West Virginia and you know Channing Tatum's character he wasn't trying to be this heroic figure or anything mm-hmm. he was just like man I have a daughter I need money and I'm not trying to pull off some like crazy fun heist like I just need a I just need a payday yeah mm-hmm. he I I I just I really enjoyed all the little details there. I like I love a movie in a weird setting that l- actually kind of breathes life into it. I had never really thought of West Virginia or like the NASCAR scene that much. Mm. And in this movie, you're like, well, there's some people's whole lives revolve yeah. around this NASCAR thing. There are a million jobs created at these NASCAR raceways and everyone's life is just 
literally revolving around a track. And the fact that they were able to shoot it all there really added to the whole yeah. sequence. It looks great. Yeah, all be- the shots because, of the cars. Yeah, because the heist is at, uh, I think it's Richmond Speedway. It's in North Carolina, isn't it? Or Charlottesville. Charlottesville, Charlottesville yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's in a very interesting setting. It's a world that obviously you want to make fun of if you're most people because it, NASCAR is kind of a stereotypical thing. Yeah, but the film isn't mean-spirited. In yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's not mean-spirited. Not, and also, like, it's not a NASCAR movie movie like no, I, I hate NASCAR but like I had a, just a good time with this because yeah. this is more of just a straight up heist movie that takes place at a NASCAR yeah. center and that's another reason that this movie is getting no buzz because it is completely unmarketable yeah Um. because who is gonna like even I saw the trailer and I was like well it has a good cast in Soderbergh but like is it about NASCAR like yeah. what is going on it's not a it just takes place near NASCAR I, I do want to mention the uh, the release method for this film because it's actually mm. pretty um, interesting Soderbergh, uh, one of the reasons why he decided to make this movie is because he read the script and saw it as an opportunity to try out. He read the script that he wrote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he saw it as an opportunity to try out uh, a kind of experimental release method that he'd been mulling over. And the way he did it is he used the money of selling the international distribution rights and the home video rights. Like he, he sold that first. And then use that money to finance the film. Yeah. So that he didn't need to have a big studio meddle with it at all. He did it all himself. Soderbergh always does some weird shit. Because with the Mosaic, he was doing like, there was an app involved yeah, with that HBO. show. And it ended up being kind of a failure. And now his new movie is all shot on an iPhone. So I, I yeah. guess now that he's like unretired, he's at least trying cool yeah, new it's, shit. Yeah, it's very cool that he's experimenting a lot. But part of me is kind of like, don't you want to just kind of perfect making a normal movie? before you. i mean this movie feels pretty normal i i think the fact that um you know he the with the that flow of money coming in that way and not involving a major studio he was able to structure the financing of the movie to be directly um involving every single person that worked on the film so Mm -hmm. every crew member every cast member had access to an online login where they could see exactly how much money they were going to make based on the box office numbers because they all had ownership over the film there was no that's very cool involved like that's super cool and i I think that may be one of the reasons why this movie didn't really get a push for awards or it didn't have any production studio pushing for awards and stuff when awards are all such a political game that you have to vie and like you know make break bread with the yeah. voters and everything else and isn't Soderbergh so wasn't gonna do that it's pretty impressive that this is a fully independently produced and distributed film with huge name actors like Tatum and Driver McFarlane and Katie Holmes and Daniel Craig Can we talk okay about no Daniel we haven't Craig? talked about Daniel Craig um because I, I do want to have a Bang. little bit of a discussion, Joe a Bang. spoiler discussion about the very end of the movie. Um, and let's what that let's means. just get into spoilers. But, but real quickly about Daniel Craig, he is having so much fun with this movie. I can just tell, like, you can just tell this is such a relief. He's like, thank God I can get a break from yeah. James Bond. Yeah, and he's a Broadway guy, too. He also, like, <laughs> his worst thing about him is he, I don't think that he had any kind of, like, a vocal coach or any kind of an accent coach for this role because he bounces place. to, like, 15 different state accents, including sometimes where he's trying to do Southern, but it sounds just British. Like, he's <laughs> yeah. just doing, like, a British accent. And you're like, what, what are he you doing He just came right full now? circle. Yeah. He has yeah. an unsteady accent, especially compared to tatum 
is pretty steady the whole movie. Like, but that's great. Tatum's from Alabama, he, so yeah. he can channel that he, southern accent, and make it very natural. Yeah, Craig was kind of all over the place, but he he was definitely such a fun. It is, character, yeah, it though. is. It is like kind of uh, you know, it's been said like all the time, but like he was having a blast. <laughs> like he re- he actually was though. Like uh, he had a good time. I genuinely like. I'm still shocked by how good Channing Tatum was. Like, is he like he's just actually just a great actor, which is really funny because yeah. you would never. 10 years ago you watch like she's the man and you're like oh that, that, <laughs> that guy? guy he'll be off the map in like six months yeah you know? or even uh jump street like jump street's funny as fuck like yeah. he has great comedic timing but like he brings some some good well, drama into this role yeah it's it's the same move that um the guy in mcgruber was trying to make the hard-nosed cop who was once he, he was once like an actual hunky star and he kind of aged out of that and so he tried to do mcgruber as a way of being like hey i'm funny too and it didn't work because it's hard to be funny in a movie movie um and tatum nailed that and that really surprised me and then in this he just ryan felipe yeah ryan felipe yeah he he absolutely nails it in this movie um i did i mean there were definitely some flaws in this movie but i just i appreciated what it was trying to do i appreciated that it was trying to have layers involved um it's definitely a very well-made well-crafted film yes and this is a movie that like deserves to have more light shed on it like people people know about oceans 11 for the most part but like this is a movie that like completely just went under the radar this this movie i can't really think of anything that's like a glaring issue with this film there's there's small problems here and there that we can touch on in spoilers but overall there's nothing about this film that is just like wow this is a big issue nothing there was never a time that i was like fuck this yeah it's it's just a very well made film, and I I know you guys mentioned it earlier about not being mean spirited, but I feel like that's kind of a like I feel like that deserves more credit because a lot of people mm. are saying this is insulting to Southern people, but I feel like everybody who's saying that are like from like L A. Yeah, West like Coast or something. They're like yeah. this is insulting. Believe us, as like people I grew or I lived in South Georgia, like this isn't insulting whatsoever. They're not doing like. They're not doing just like total like hick shit. Like the most yeah. shit that they do is like they go to that little fair and they're they're <laughs> playing uh, horseshoes with a toilet seat. Yeah, <laughs> like shit so like funny. that. But yeah, that's, that was that's got, literally things that happen. Yeah, like, but it also depicts something that does like hardly exist, which is a rich person in West Virginia. Yeah. Oh, shout out to uh, Roy from yeah, the Office. Roy from the Office. This is in the the Michael Schur cinematic universe because it also has Jim O'Hare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. From so Parson Rec. Got Jerry Gergich and uh, Roy. <laughs> in here at this point uh david Roy, who Dinning, is who's wearing a ford hat david denman yeah he plays, he plays, sponsored I mean, by ford that is also you might see it as blatant sponsorship but that's people like yeah no that's that's literally <laughs> we went to people. a high school full of those people and he owns the ford yeah, which dealership is, which is the but, thing about this criticism is like this movie is not making fun of these people because no, that's if how anything, it people does, are. I would say, if anything, it does kind of glamorize their life more that people can be what is considered quote unquote stupid, but can still do amazing, genius, extraordinary things. Yeah, yeah I yeah, it's definitely not offensive. Yeah. I, I think I agree with you that it's, it's someone in California being like, you're making it look like Southerners like NASCAR. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yeah, we do. Yeah, <laughs> like that's a real thing. That I happens. love NASCAR. <laughs> well, I think we, we all recommend this movie. Um, it's coming soon to Amazon Prime. It should be out sometime uh, before the end of this month. So definitely check it out. Um, it's a good, good, good time. Uh, yeah. Spoilers now? Yeah. Yeah. Quick let's just spoiler. talk a little bit about the ending. I mean, I don't have too much like in the spoiler section, but I like I said uh, earlier that I think the biggest fault with this movie is the emotional impact. 
I just like I really wish that we could have gotten a little bit more from there to make me care. Uh, another couple scenes that like I could understand the criticism a little bit more, like namely whenever uh, the sister is painting the cockroaches like different colors to know which one yeah. makes it through which vent. It was like okay, like I understand the thought behind it, but like it is like I guess you could say it's like kind of trashy and shit yeah. like that. But it's, uh, yeah, I. Th- I like that because it is like a it's like a redneck ingenuity thing where and like it's something yeah. we haven't really seen. In no, yeah, what it's I, interesting. The critique I do agree with you about is that it could have used just like two lines where someone being like, "Oh man, those Logan boys, you know, they're down low luck, but they are geniuses." But they are lucky because <laughs> what they pull off, <laughs> yeah, what they pull off is like crazy. Yeah, and it could have used just one line of someone being like, "Man, he, all that potential, you were so smart, so great." That's all it needed, and like the buy-in would be a lot better. I feel like. Also, like, I don't know, because I do love the the way that you watch the heist and then you kind of re-watch the heist with through the perspective yeah, same of as Tatum. Oceans. Yeah, yeah exact, exact same, same thing of yeah. Oceans. That's where I was, like, really getting the vibes of Oceans is the last, like, 30 yeah. minutes of these two and movies. It, and that, and honestly worked also because it gave me the same feel as Oceans, where after the heist, I was like, yeah, but what about this and what about that? And then you're like, oh, oh thank yeah, you. It's, it's all so well thought out, which is something that I really appreciate. What do you guys think of the very end of this movie where we go to the bar where Adam Driver is working and Hillary Swank is there? I think she wants the the one handed D. I mean, you know what you know, what, <laughs> you know what she's doing is she's pulling a Rooney coaster. Oh, <laughs> she's getting too enveloped in her her work. Yeah, I mean that was a yeah because they told her to drop. The case. <laughs> I I didn't love that part. I thought I mean I, it was fun because I I feel like maybe if it ended with no consequences it would have been like come on. But like at the same time it's kind of hack. It it is. It's just kind of one of those things where you're like. Oh no! Yeah, no. she's gonna, she's then, gonna get him, and then that, and then it just kind of ends, and you're like, "Well, that seems kind of cheap." Uh, yeah, well, she's just like the last line is like, "I'm gonna be here for a while," or whatever. Yeah. So like, I guess it's open ended. Is is she gonna figure it out? Is she not? But like, yeah, I w- that that kind of was like, I don't know. Like, it was all right. My my main criticism with the film is, uh, I think it takes a little bit too long to get started. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the first half is pretty slow. Yeah, and by the time you get to the good stuff, it's like, oh wow, like it, it makes it. It's like a stark contrast in pacing. Yeah, and that's what I was saying about the emotional aspect. Is I don't know if it needed more or less of it, just because it felt like the first half of the movie was all very trying to be heavy with like giving you this is uh, Tatum's relationship to his daughter and this kind of stuff. And I don't know if I really wanted more of the movie to be like that emotional way that I'm supposed to feel because I just didn't really feel yeah, it throughout. Maybe, maybe if we would have gotten one more big scene between them in the middle of the movie to better set up or that even, payoff. Or even a scene with his ex-wife that like more of a dramatic scene that's, because they that's really what I was gonna say. they saw each other just like oh like here's here's the kid. A like, lot of their communication the is, is done between Katie Holmes giving I mean she did well but it's just her giving these looks of like that you know that, that shows like a million emotions of like man what could have been and also I still love you but I'm with this guy obviously he's rich as shit also why is she so disappointed that her daughter didn't do Umbrella like the look on her face of her not singing Umbrella at the recital it's like because she's a pageant mom have you ever seen those shows yeah that that scene was hilarious because those moms are are batshit like they they lose it if their kid like doesn't do exactly what they're supposed to overall I I really think the cast is great Mm -hmm. um 
I don't think anyone really struggles except with the accents. Yeah, uh, I'd still the, I'd still say Seth MacFarlane. I was not a fan of whatever the fuck he, 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 was he doing. He doesn't really ruin the film. He doesn't ruin it just because he's not in that big of a yeah. part of the movie. But like, I just could have you done without him. I love at seeing all. Sebastian Stan in there. Yeah, that Sebastian awesome. Stan. That, I, that's I love great. that dude. Yeah, I really think that he is like. He wasn't even really on my radar after Winter Soldier. I was like, yeah, he's he's another like stud guy. Yeah. And then Itanya is like, whoa, this guy can like really. Yeah. I mean, really even as Winter Soldier, he puts on a great performance. Yeah. I was just kind of like, yeah, it's another that type, but he's not a type. He's just a good actor. Yeah. I think I think Soderbergh really he just he's made so many fucking movies that he just he can just put out a great movie without like really putting as much effort into it like mm. i don't really think he he really like labored over this film because you know the if you think of him directing 20 hours of the nick like that's intense but making this movie it's just like oh let's just make a movie um so he he just is able to put something together that is very just well made well crafted without much effort uh, i think the movie could have used from a little bit more style a little bit more flair um, like oceans, yeah, I think that's what definitely. I like about oceans is the silliness, is like the the kind of wacky stuff. Um, but the performances in this movie elevated a little bit in that regard. Even though I do prefer prefer oceans, you know, more um, out there tone. This movie still gives us the same sort of story through that different lens of like these southern guys and. We um we get to know them a little bit more. It's a smaller cast. Ocean Seven Eleven, as it's yeah, called. Yeah, that was a <laughs> yeah. Great there's joke. a line in the movie. Yeah, that's very. That was great. That was very meta. Also, yeah. the whole Game of Thrones bit. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was like so that was funny. great. And what's funny about that bit is it's something that if you don't watch or are familiar with Game of Thrones, that you wouldn't understand the bit like, at all. Uh, and it goes on for like pretty yeah. long amount of time like there are multiple minutes that pass with this george rr R. martin bit that yeah. i i love that whole sequence do you yeah. guys think we're ever gonna find out who actually wrote this movie or is it gonna be probably a mystery not probably forever? not yeah i don't Does know it, i, I, I feel like know. it is either him or him and his wife or i've just the heaviest rumor is that his wife is involved with yeah, the writing of she this she just didn't want the attention of this being like soderbergh directing his wife's script yeah, yeah yeah i mean i guess that makes sense but uh I, like we like you said i mean i still recommend this movie i think that yeah. it was very underrated for last year i saw it on like a couple, I don't remember even what the websites were. It might be on the Ringer or something where they put this in the top ten. Yeah, like a, right around number ten a, or so. A, a guy I but, like on YouTube for analysis, uh, his channel's called Movie Bob. I'm pretty sure he had it at number one. What? Yeah, and I, was I don't like, know about that. I yeah, wouldn't put it at number I, one. I but wouldn't, but I, I think I'm. Uh oh, I can't. Like, am I still on mic? I can't hear myself, Hunter. Don't blame me. Okay. Um. Yeah, I, I I think I'm a bit higher on it. I really liked it. I liked it a bit more than Oceans because I found it more interesting Like to have... I, I felt the characters were more breathable, even if they still weren't like super dimensional. Yeah, they just the, had some dimension to the, them. The story is a little bit more you know. Yeah, there's just, there's just more theory. happening than one thing. Oceans 11 is about one thing, which is fine. It's very fun. It's a good movie for when you like, you like... You know, it's like a get home from work and you're exhausted and it's on TV. Yeah. Like, great movie for that. Perfect for that. Uh, I like this a little more. Uh, both of these movies, though, I would say, like, for, say, The Departed, I, I think The Departed's better than both. Oh, easily. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. just because it's, 
it's all of that. It's, you know, it's a crazy plan and it's a crazy story and it's also very layered characters. Um, so I think they're both not like, I wouldn't, they don't verge on like complete greatness or like must like have to watch essential for any movie fan, but they're both, I really like them both. Like they're just fun. This one uh, in a very different way than the other. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts guys? Um, no, I mean, you said, uh, Logan Lucky, it's about to come out on Amazon Prime and it yep. we watched it on Google Play and stuff and it's out on Blu-ray right now. It's definitely worth watching. It yeah, it's, it's worth a buy. All right. Well, another great pod. We'll see you next week with our Black Panther. Man, we're just review yet another good one from the boys. Yeah, I, just I, it's kind of it. early to say, but like this was a good pod. Yeah, yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Um, you can it's really good reviews. <laughs> you can email us at webottamike at gmail Check out our Facebook page, Instagram at webottamike. Um, leave us a review on iTunes. You know? or don't. <laughs> just just go ahead and give us some stars there if you want. Like, let us know what you think of the show. Mm. And you can find me at Calderness on Twitter and Instagram. Uh kind of haven't been tweeting out that much. I'll I'll start to to tweet out again a little bit more. I've been trying to, I don't know, lay quiet. Twitter's a very Twitter's like a hellscape of a place. Yeah. It's very scary. Sucks you in. Uh yeah, I'm at Drew Dietzen on Twitter. Probably, I think I'm at Drew Dietzen on Instagram, but I don't don't bother. Are you not gonna post pictures of your butthole? Damn it! Um, I'm at (laughs) I'm at a Hunt Mobley on Twitter. Uh, also check me out on Letterboxd from the same name as that. Yeah, us Um, too. Our our handles are down in the description. Yeah, so uh, check us out. Check us all out there. Um, yeah, so next week we're going to be doing Black Panther review. Ooh, and then I can't week wait. after that, Annihilation. Yeah. We yeah, got we got Portman. some actual movies yeah, to watch finally, this year. Finally. Thank God we got through the trudge that is dis- January, and now we, can, now we can do something. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye-bye. Scott, Scott, Scott. Music is good. I've been thinking all my time spent. Are the bills paid? Does it make a break? Will I find a way? Have my feelings changed? Will I be okay? I don't know. But will I do notice? Like, don't make sense. If you can't pay rent, so I place my bills. What got you shook on this Saturday? I take my hell and I hold my place. I split my Cracks in my phone screen, the past fuck with my psyche. Smoke weed and get high, please. Went to school in the woodlands, and that made niggas wanna fight me. So